everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, episode number 385. I'm your host, Chris Zillner, joined as always by my co-host, David Bix and Span. And Bix, it's the final show of 2022. And I'm going to be entering another year of Between the Sheets coming up. And uh, yeah, this is uh, an interesting show we're going to have this week, to say the least. But uh, how was your uh, holidays, your Hanumas? I mean, as we're recording this, it's only the second night of Hanukkah. Yeah, but they're listening to it the day after Christmas. <laughs> so be it the illusion that it's already happened, Bix. Good Lord. We don't normally do that. Oh, great. Whatever. My Christmas was, was very nice and special. I got a lot of things I uh, I needed and uh, had a great time with the family. So there. I'm able to act, <laughs> be method. Sure. So there you go. But anyway, all right, so let's get to the show. As we are going to discuss the week plus two days of December 19th through the 27th of 1996. And we begin with the World Wrestling Federation. With the World Wrestling Federation Shotgun Starry Night concept only days away from its debut, still very little has been released about the show. What is known is that the show will air live from New York from 11 p.m. until midnight on WLIG Channel 55 in Long Island, which is available in most of the five boroughs in New York City on cable. It will emanate from different nightclubs, with the January 4th debut being from the Mirage at 610 West 56th Street in Manhattan, which has the capacity to hold 3,000 people, all standing room. It's believed there will be a Three live matches with series of entertainment and comedy-oriented sketches and attempts to get celebrities on as being there to create the aura that this is the new in thing to do on a Saturday night. The biggest names that appear on the first show are Ahmed Johnson, Goldust, and the Godwins, as most of the girls' headliners will be working in Stockton, California that night. The show will be more risque than the other WF programming, but it won't attempt to do anything at the level of ECW, such as the brawling in the crowd or juice. The show's believed to be carried on about 20 stations, none of which have been released at press time. There are clearances about the Los Angeles and Chicago markets, and some markets show where live, on others they wear midnight Eastern on a one-hour tape delay. The original concept of the show was to air at midnight on Saturday night, where competition from mainline syndicated programming is minimal. However, the station in Long Island offered them an 11 p.m. time slot while they had been shopping for midnights, thus creating the dual feed in the Eastern Zone. It's believed whatever time slots on the West Coast have been cleared will be for a midnight slot Pacific time. The has on its website claimed the show will revolutionize the industry like Saturday Night's main event did in the mid-80s. It is believed that besides the wrestling, there will be an emphasis on bodybuilder like men and beautiful women appearing on the air in skits and perhaps planted crowd shots. You know, last year, well, this year, I guess, the beginning of the year, we covered the the beginning of Shotgun Saturday Night. So if you guys want to go back and listen to that, we did that week in January. But um, you know the thing that we we really didn't talk about on that show, and it just popped in my mind here, is the timing of this. As far as WF as a product, this was the worst possible timing to create this show because the product was ice cold. Also. You just decided to get out of first-run syndication for the most part a few months earlier. 
yeah, we we kind of talked about that, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it, I mean that that's another thing too, <laughs> because Superstars <laughs> is now exclusively on the USA Network. Right. The only show that is left is the recap version of Challenge, which is not on a lot of markets. No, definitely wasn't on here. It was pretty much, I think, wherever that was left that was willing to do a barter deal. But the thing is, what if they what if they decide what if they decided to not to do it here in January? But what if they decided to premiere their show in like June, July, or even wait till uh, the next the TV season starts in the fall when WF as a promotion is starting to pick up some steam, and the product would have reflected better with this type of show than the product they're running at this point in time. Yes. So that's a, I think that's one of the big mistakes that they had. Um, in doing this concept at this point in time was it didn't fit the trajectory of the promotion. Yes. Although, you know, should mention too, since it's not brought up by Dave here, what the original concepts was that turned into Shotgun. This was originally the weekly pay-per-view idea. Yeah, which we talked about on that show. And I think they we were going to do the TNA thing before you, before TNA. And I think we might have covered the week that story broke, too, at some point. I'm not sure. Yeah, um, yeah I'm scrolling through the article I wrote for Fanbyte about the anniversary shotgun uh, earlier this year. And, um, you know what, let's go back to August from something that Wade wrote that I quoted in here. So this is when it's still strictly a weekly pay-per-view concept. The WWF wants to improve its adult demographics. They're still stronger with kids than WCW, but weaker than WCW in the adult category, and saw weekly, late-night, hardcore pay-per-views as the answer. Since they thus far have been given blank looks and returns from cable companies, their strategy will have to shift elsewhere for now. Wait a minute. Hold on, hold on, hold on. What do they mean by weekly, hardcore pay-per-views? Are you talking about porn? No, I mean, what it, that it was going to be more of an ECW-style show. No, no, that's not what you're saying. I mean, they said that there's a track record of this happening. What's the, what is the weekly hardcore pay-per-views they're talking about? No, there's nothing about a track record there. Read that Read that sentence. Read that again. Okay, maybe I should make the parenthetical clearer here. The WWF wants to improve its adult demographics. Open parenthesis. They are still stronger with kids than WCW, but weaker than WCW in the adult category. P- close parenthesis. And saw weekly... Late night hardcore pay per views is the answer. That's what Wade wrote in the August thirty first torch. Okay. Now you get what I'm saying. Okay. I thought I thought that they were looking at something that was already there. I was like, wait a minute, what are they no, talking about? No, 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 no. So I agree partially with what you're saying, but the goal is also to do just what they would need to do to make it fit anyway. So I can see both sides of it. Nobody was going to sit at home every Saturday night and buy a, a hardcore. Well, I wouldn't say nobody. Only a certain set of idiots would sit at home every Saturday night and buy a one $10. to two hour wrestling pay per view. No, yeah. one hour ten dollar pay per view. I believe one hour ten dollar pay per view. Yeah. No. And then what about the nights that you're going against the big, the major boxing pay per views? Good mm-hmm. luck. <laughs> Good luck, because there was at least one a month, and sometimes there were two a month. You know, I mean, that's a nightmare. 
especially in this era, you know, where, um, I mean, there's a lot of big money Boston pay-per-views going on at the end of 96, starting in, in early 97. And uh, it have been a total disaster for WF to try to do that. Absolutely. Yes. What they would have been better off doing, they would have been better off trying to do a deal with um, either DirecTV on, uh, or on their one-on-one channel or USSB, who people forget about USSB. That was DirecTV's like, cohort, but they were separate. They started in USS- separate services, but then like it became like you got most of the stuff from DirecTV – but you got like premium channels and pay per view from USS. Exactly. Weird like that. Well, you, you well you got you got um like Showtime. I think Showtime and HBO was on USSB or something like that for sure. But Showtime definitely was. Um, they could have got on USSB's channel too, and done the, and done a special thing on one of those channels, you know, on the first run, and then do their you know midnight syndicated deal like they're doing here. Was one think, that, I mean, already a thing in ninety six, ninety seven, though? Ninety seven, yes, it was. It was already started. So it just didn't. It went, as, it went, it went as big because the TV wasn't as huge yet. It's starting to. It's starting to make its waves. And it but took, yeah, like, I mean, what over a decade to have even have a name and become the audience network? Yeah, well, yeah, that was way later. But I mean, um, USSB's channel. We'll play all kind of different stuff. I mean, they played ECW every week. ECW started on there in '98, and they I played the, I really uh, the knew week about that. I think you've maybe mentioned it once or twice. Yeah, I recorded it. I, I saw. I watched these. One the reason I watched ECW. So that was, was what, off like that a g- g- generic feed without local promos or anything. Yes, yes, it was like a nationally syndicated feed. Yes. So whatever's on WWE Network is what appeared on USSB, basically. It would be what would appear like in a market. Uh, that wasn't getting ECW on a live basis. Right, right. That had ECW television. Mm-hmm. Um, and they would air like concerts and stuff. And it would be like a Barker channel for the pay-per-views. Like, um, I remember when I first got direct TV, um, Riddit Bo Andrew Galata 2 was the first big pay-per-view on there. And they would, they would sh- to be the Barker channel for that. Spice Girls had a pay-per-view of one of their, uh, their big concerts. And they would play stuff like that, you know, all throughout the day. And then they would have special programming on there too. So WWE, WF could have done something like that, made a deal with one of those things, and set it up where you know you kind of be like, well, I, I need to buy this uh, this satellite dish so I can watch this show. If I if I didn't have it in my market, which like we never had shotgun here, shotgun never aired in Atlanta, never in Macon, so. You know, it, it could have had a, you know, and there would have been some wrestling fans that would have probably done that in that scenario. So, I mean, there's ways it could have went about it. A pay-per-view was a kiss of death, and uh, it was a good thing on their part that they decided not to do it. Yeah, but even then, whatever they were going for with this concept, it goes six weeks of live shows, then one week of a recap show, and they give up. Because their their product wasn't ready for that. If well, they do that, and if they do that, in summer '97, when they have start getting their ducks in a row, where Brett's on, you know, on fire as a heel, Austin's picked up steam. You got Sean and Undertaker. You're going this more adult direction. It would have fit perfectly. They're not in adult direction yet. 
Well, and also they're, three they're, out they're, of they're playing with they're yeah. put, they're dabbling in it, but they're not there yet. And three out of four weeks a month, you know, outside of the weekend where you'll just run in the city or doing the pay per view, you have to pull people off the house shows to make it a marketable TV show. Yes. So that's another problem. So, yeah. Um, exactly. I mean, anything else to go over here? Cons- you know, as far as Not really. Acceptance. I mean, the other thing was they didn't really seem to have a good feel on how to produce it either, you know, with the first no. being so badly lit and stuff. And that was the difference between Saturday Night's Man event and this. When they talk about Saturday Night's Man event, that's not them producing. That's Dick Ebersol. Yeah. Um, you know, one thing, and then we'll move on, I guess. You know, I'm reminded because I brought it up in the article I did. At least with that first show. You know, the subsequent shows looked a lot better. But that first show with the bad lighting and the tiny crowd and stuff, going for the same aesthetic, NCW was doing a better job with no budget than WWF did with that first episode of Shotgun. (laughs) I don't think that's an exaggeration, do you? No. And that's at roughly the same time, too. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go to Monday Night Raw and we go to the Pro Wrestling Torch for the report. Raw on December 23rd, when Mark Merrill and Sable's ring interest for Merrill's Intercontinental Tunnel match. For the second week in a row, WF didn't air their traditional opening montage in order to give the viewers 15 seconds of safe time to check out what's happening on Nitro. Interesting way of putting that, by the way. And you more think about it, 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 it made sense. You know, I mean... For those of the people that were channel surfing, and you start to show off with a montage of whatever, yeah, you're going to flip the Nitra, more often than not. Yeah, I think probably also didn't help that they had changed the opening by this point. Still had the same song, but it wasn't as effective. No. Well, we start off with Hunter's Helmsley defeating Barbaro to retain the Edicondo title. After Hunter's ring intro, Goldust and Marlena's me to start, and he showed up in the crowd playing mind games with Hunter. Mero knocked Hunter off the, off the top rope early in the match, and then chased after Jerry Lawler, who headed to the back and never returned. Jim Ross Vincent Man explained that Goldust is upset because Hunter approached Marlena. Ross plugged the Hunky Top Man beyond during the show. We'll have that as we go along. Ben Man also plugged the rest of the features on the show, followed by the first commercial break. Ross continued to talk about 70,000 fans attend the Royal Rumble as if the crowd's a given. At nine minute Mark Merrow, Mr. Merrow, Salt and Hunter followed up with a pedigree for the clean win. Merrow was held back by the referees after the match from going after Hunter. Hunter ripped on Goldust and said, Marlena, you're going to find out what it's like to be with a real bad. Goldust chased him. Ross said, real men don't run and real men don't read memos. Okay. I'm wondering what that second part was. That's clearly some kind of inside joke, but wait, it doesn't say what it is. No, he does not. But you agree with me that it has to be some <laughs> in joke. Oh yeah, yes, that's something. Yeah. Well, this is this is salty Jim Ross era. You know, we just had that. We got fake Diesel and fake Razor kind yeah. of still around. It, it's that era. He's still playing that gimmick a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, a little. They replayed Billy Gunn injuring his neck last week. McMahon said he had temporary partial paralysis and referred to his legitimate past neck injury that put him out of action before. We'll have more on that in a minute. Sonny came out and sat ringside with McMahon. Vince pulled that Sonny hosted MTV singled out and showed some footage. Uh, she didn't host. A, she didn't host. She was a contestant. <laughs> 
Yeah, she didn't know she was contesting. So let's go to that, shall we? Yes. This let's appears, watch this episode of Single Room. The, the clip appears to have been cut out of the network version of Raw for the reasons they usually cut stuff like that out. I think paranoid about copyright. And, and, and real quick, for people that may not know, yes. because Single Room was a show in the mid-90s, and we probably may have some listeners that are too young to remember when he was born. Single Out was a show that aired during the afternoons on MTV, hosted by Chris Hardwick, who has gone on to bigger and better things in his life. And uh, Jane McCarthy, this is her first real big gig after being uh, you know, in Playboy. This is the and, first time she's showing a personality, basically. Oh, she was showing a lot of personality. I mean, she <laughs> she became the big star of this show because she came off as this hot chick that was, was like the guys. And uh, you'll see here as we get in this. So Sunday's a contestant. They have a bunch of dudes. They have these uh, categories up on uh, this board where you pick a category and you have a, a multiple choice of two things. You take one and then the people that had the other choice, they get eliminated immediately. So that sets up for the next round. And then like you do have a, a golden ticket where if you see a a uh, guy or girl that walks by that you eliminated that if you want to give them a second chance, you give them the golden ticket. So there's that too. So anyway, let's go to 1996 MTV, a great era. One of the last great eras of that channel and uh, single it out. Downloaded pictures on America online. Say hello to Sonny. Sonny, welcome to uh, single out. Thanks, Chris. I have a present for you. I heard you're underpaid here. So, I'm going to put your wardrobe up a little bit. What do you think? Oh, my God. Man, look at this. It's Sonny. Oh! It's the Sonny playing cool teacher. Sonny. Makes me feel. All right. Now, John, John Ernst holds all my clothes for me, I so do. hold that right back here. there. Put it right in your I, closet I don't here. know why. I've never said that before. <laughs> are, you, are you ready to, to play? Yes, I am ready. Can I have some underwear? Age, <laughs> nose, butt, no. stamina, brains. Casey, That's you need a reminder that there couldn't... Well, no, the underwear part was not one of the categories. Um, no. You know, I was going to wait to see if anything happened before I mentioned just how problematic the two hosts have become in the 26 years since. Well, I mean, hey, the, uh, it, this is the 90s, brother. I mean, this is the way we were. No, I mean, but, well, I was talk, thinking, well, with Chris Hardwick and Jenny McCarthy, it's... Well, well, this isn't necessarily unrelated, but you get where I'm going with this. Anyway. But anyway, the, category, the categories here are age, nose, butt, hygiene, brains, and stamina. And one thing I can say, this is – Tammy's about in the best condition she ever was at this point in time in her life. She She's pretty amazing here, so let's go back to the clip. Also remember, she's only 23. Yes. Hygiene, is everybody ready to sign in over there, She-Ra? Well, Chris, we pounded the pavement searching for 50 good boys, but, well, we couldn't find any, so we brought in these nasty ones. Yeah! Yeah! Um, you have a golden ticket, which means in our little, our little rule pot here that you can send a guy from round one and send him in a round two, where would you like to go? Let's go to Brains, Chris. All right, sure. If you want. Tweedledum or Tweedledumber? Well, before I started with the World Wrestling Federation, I was going to medical school, so let's get rid of Tweedledumber. Tweedledumber! Oh, That's true. Tweedledumber! I'm done! I'm done to kill 
she gave it. Go to take it. Well, that's the end of round one. Um, hi, would you like to get up? Sure. Not that I don't like to see oh, you down there, but thanks, Chris. stand up. Go over there. Now, before we continue any further, you've already... I don't even remember, by the way. Did they have any other celebrity contestants? Yes. How often? That was... I mean, did someone it share this awesome. episode with her, though? No. Okay. No. It happened, but not often. Yeah. This, this is a very popular show in this era, too, folks. Yes. We met Jenny McCarthy. She yes, was a girl on her back a few seconds ago. Much. Let's say hello to Piano Boy John Ernst. Hey! Yeah. John Ernst with a classic 1996 haircut. Yes, man! Yes! What sort of love tip might you, you have for the love oh, and perpetually Chris. bored people today, John? Oh, I promise you. God. Right, here it is. Never date a woman on the rebound, unless, of course, she's pretty. Then, right, then by man! All means, you want to do it. Right! Yes. Hey, TV composer. Hi, number one, say hello to Sonny. Uh, hello, Sonny. My name is Richard, and I like girls. I hope so. <laughs> uh, number two. Hello, Sonny. This is Jesse, and if you get with me, you local, man. <laughs> number three. Hi, my name is Doug, and I'm the bomb, baby. Oh, man. <laughs> number four. Hello, Sonny. My name is Jason. It's cold and wet outside, but if you take me home, and make it hot and steamy. That's the golden picture. Yeah. Number Hi, Sonny. My name's Pat. If you ask the mirror on the wall, it'll say that I'm all that. <laughs> Wait. Chris? What? This is Los Angeles, right? Not New York. Yeah. Was that Pat Howard? I don't think so. He looks like he had a little bit of a resemblance to Larry Rivera. I don't think so. Hold on. I don't want to go back too far, but... Ah! Hello, Sonny. My name is Jason. It's cold and wet outside, but if you take me home, and make it hot and steamy. Take it again. Number five. Mm, no. I'm doing a side-by-side. I'm looking at pictures. Okay. No. All right. No. Hi, Sonny. My name is Pat. You know if you mirror on the wall, it'll say that I'm all that. <laughs> I, I guess. Um, no. It's round two. Where would you like to start? Number two. Number two. Stand up. Number two. Number two. One thing I've never understood, though, how did they figure out what questions to? Did they just ask them a a bunch of questions until they find ones that only five guys answer? What give a certain answer? No, 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 no. That's just how many of them was left. <laughs> I feel like there was. I feel like there was always a similar number, though. Um, I don't, if I remember, I don't think it was always a similar number. All right. Are we going to watch this whole segment, or what are we doing? No, 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 no. I just want to get a taste of it. Okay. Well, let's see if we can find out. Wrestling All right, hold on. Let's see if we can find out. Uh, let's see who she picks in the end. Oh, there's Bob Acklin. I forgot about that. <laughs> okay. Acklin has snapped. It's not the first time. Get Mr. Backlund to ease up and have more patience with little Bob and the youth of America. <laughs> Let's go, young man. It's time to train. No, I'm just really tired today, okay? Can I you said it's time to train, right? right? If, hey, when you address me, young man, it's Mr. Beckley, 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 Mr. Beckley
the contest is trying to get him to stop. That's not working. All right. Okay. G. McCarthy is riding Bob Backlund. Well, I've known Mr. Backlund for a while, and he's hard to get by, so we're going to keep him. He's Go to the win, Yeah! All right. That's what we're God almighty. Uh, let's see here. Uh, she's uh, going to make her final decision here. Oh, wait. we Okay. All right. Yeah, I didn't realize her segment is not that long, actually. Well, no, so no, we're gonna make a final decision. We're gonna make a final decision. Okay. Where? About here? No. Keep okay. going. Okay, that. Uh... Okay, go back a little. Yeah. All right. He'll leave you hungry. Say hello to some young guy. Yeah, yeah, Well, Sunny placed some answers on these cards by herself, and you get to match them. And if you get into the circle first, then you get to go out on a lovely date. Let's begin. Okay. Easy to do with one hand. Unhook a bra or go to the bathroom. Go to the bathroom. Unhook the bra. Go to the bathroom. What'd you say, baby? Go to the bathroom. Why is he holding a giant nose? Some young guy in the lead. I don't know. weird fetish. You can do both. Home is where the heart is or just a place to crash. Where the heart is. Heart is. Heart is. They're inching closer to Sunny. But all surfers, music leaders or music lessons? Music leaders. 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 What do you think? Music lessons. Well, Sunny not a butthole surfers fan. They're no lover boy, that's for sure. Best way to treat wood. (laughs) Stain it or shellac it? Shellac it. Stain it. Stain it. What did you say? Stain it. Uh-oh. A tattoo of your lover's name shows your affection, shows your pathetic. Pathetic. Affection. Affection. What'd you say, honey? Oh, it shows your affection. affection. Yeah. Oh, little buddy's almost there, too. You know some people who do that? Yeah, and half the tattoos are so stupid. And their ex-boyfriends have the other half. Oh, stupid. Best describes your attitude. Happy, happy, joy, joy, or poor, poor, pitiful me. Happy, happy, joy, joy. Happy, happy, joy, joy. Happy, happy, joy, joy. What'd you say? Yeah, you got it. All right, let's see what Sunny does when she sees old, old, old dude. He's an 18 year old. He's shorter than her. Student from Corona, Jenny Turner around. Congratulations. Now you get to meet her friends, Tammy. Aloha. We're giving you two some brand new blue Hawaii surfboards to wax up and take down to Malibu. After you're done riding the face, stuff your face at Duke's in Malibu. They've got more good food than the beach has sand. But at the beach, you can eat the sandwiches there. Mr. Backlund, whatever happened to Sam, that little redheaded kid in the last season of Different Strokes? What do you think I am? An information booth? Jenny, what about these 50 single women? Ah! All right. I wonder how that date went. <laughs> Do we think it's come up in any shoot interviews with her? <laughs> uh, of all the stuff they can talk about, I'm sure that has not come up in a shoot interview. <laughs> I'm just making. But sure. anyway. But anyway. I don't know why, but seeing um, seeing it stuck now on her with the girls reminds me. Of, she did an interview. I don't remember where I read this years ago. It was at the time. I remember reading it. 
Jenny McCarthy, that it was after they did the, I think it was a one-off all gay and lesbian contestants episode. Yeah, I remember that. Which was a big deal at the time. And how Fair. it was so nice to be around the gay guys at the beginning of the show because the usual guys were gross and handsy. Yes. And then they did the lesbian contestants and they were just like the usual straight guys. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, Jenny Jenny would say, you know, that that, you know, she was just getting just violated up there by some of those yeah, dudes. It's, not it's pretty rough. Pretty rough. Alright, well so Sonny talked about that. They showed that man talked about the debut of Shotgun Saturday night. But before that, we have a special Christmas song on Monday Night Raw. Let's go to the clip. Freddie Blassie is the conductor, yes. <laughs> That's cute. Yes. Alright, so when talking about shotgun, man, man said the highlights were air on raw, viewers don't see it. Which Wade chimes in. Shotgun gives viewers another reason to tune in the raw to see highlights of the live Saturday show that isn't airing in most markets. Mm. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, All right, so... Well, there yeah. is something else, since I don't think we've ever played one of these on here. Oh, wait, no, that's after this match. So, never mind. Okay. Uh, Rocky Maivia beat Salvatore Sinceri, that jobber Tom Brandy. Rock, Rocky continues to show main event potential, Wade said. Sinceri's also playing his role well. Jim Ross said, Jim Cornette, the new Gingrich of the WF, doesn't have a lot of ethics. I used to live in Georgia. A lot of folks in Georgia have a shortage of ethics. Da, 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 da. But Jim's, <laughs> Jim's on one this week. My man, okay, so there's that. All right, so what are you going to uh, what do you want to play here? Georgian Adam, Wade doesn't brother. Because Wade doesn't mention this, of course. So, yeah, so let's go to George and Adam, I guess. Yeah, should we explain who George and Adam are? <laughs> I mean, we already have numerous times in the show. They're, they're, but they're they... production employees who they used as these super fan characters. Yes. And they're, they've been, they're sitting in the Alabo Dome for weeks waiting for the Rumble. And you know where we are right now. We're in the Alamo Dome Tunnel. It leads to the ring. This is the very tunnel that Psycho Sid and Shawn Michaels are going to be in. Oh, God. Can you imagine the adrenaline going through Psycho Sid's veins? Oh, man. He's the man. He's the man. Imagine this. The heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels, the hometown boy. 70,000 screaming fans as he makes his grand entrance. Uh, George, uh, I think we made a wrong turn. Ladies and gentlemen, would you please... You know, for two guys who presumably hadn't done any acting or anything before other than, like, background silent stuff on episodes of Mania, George Dermanakos and Adam Panucci are pretty good in these. Well, my, my thing is in this is how in the hell are they in, that, in there? <laughs> They're supposed to be fans. How are they in the Dalmo Dome a uh, month before Royal Rumble? It's a bit, brother. I, 
I know, but make it realistic. God you mean sakes. Starburst presents the Royal Rumble? Yes. All right, man. May interviewed Sid. During seeing Sid's ring intro, Ross the best Sid when they thought about using a TV camera as a weapon. They show Shawn Michaels watching an interview on a monitor in the back. Nothing of note for the Sid interview. Next, we get this match. Cybernetico, which Dave spells it Cybernetico, and Petoff beat the New Rockers. What a match. They showed Mil Muscatus doing color commentary on the Spanish feed. Ross said that Petoff's in his late 30s with over 20 years of experience. He said Cybernetico just turned 21 has three years experience. Ross said that they are not favorites in their country. Ross and McMahon also said not all Mexicans are known for their aerial attacks. Ross called it an unfair stereotype. Huh? <laughs> uh, they There had been some announcing, I think, on their first appearance where it was said that they are high flyers. Aha. Uh-huh. So there you go. Plus, also, they don't sure. want these luchadors to look bad next to the WCW guys, I think. Yeah. Sirico nailed Leaf Cassidy with shoulder block to the ropes to the floor. Meanwhile, Petoff hit Gennady after a top rope splash. The Mexicans weren't anything special, but they weren't bad either. Cassidy and Gennady shoved each other after the match. Ross interviewed Mil Muscatus regarding being in WF. May man make fun of the segment saying, another award-winning inter- interview from JR. Muscatus talked about all of his Hispanic fans attending the Rumble in San Antonio. Honky Tonk Man came out to make his big announcement. Which way is parenthesis was Angel Baby? That's his, uh, the new version of Betty Sue or whatever it was, the share playing. No, wasn't Angel Baby? Angel Baby was the rumored thing where Luna was going to be his valet, right? Oh, okay. Now oh, you're right. I, I had just not color- thought about that until 19, since 1996. But I say he just came into color for the main event. So where's the big announcement? Well, we'll find out. Brett beat Razor Ramon. Brett Harvey beat Razor Ramon. Fake Razor. I mean, man. Honky said he needs someone who could take over and be the greatest of all time and take over where he left off. Honky said Brett wasn't what he was looking for, but Razor certainly wasn't because his hair is too greasy. Rather than commercial break, Brett beat Razor with a sharpshooter. Honky said he swore he could see Razor grabbing the ropes. Vince asked Shawn Michaels who watched Brett's match from the back when he thought of Brett's win. Vince asked Shawn's questions. He only said, yeah. He then did his best to make my man feel uncomfortable for actually pr- promoting his title match. He said he'd be prepared for anything. And that's how Raw ended. <laughs> okay. I kind of want to see how bad this uh, interview with Mill is. Okay. I feel like we have to. I, I don't think it's long, so let's see. Of all time, JR. It certainly is a pleasure to have you involved in the Royal Rumble competing. At San Antonio, it is an honor for the World Wrestling Federation to have the legendary Bill Master here. What are your thoughts about the competition here in the WWF and being in San Antonio at the Royal Rumble? You know, I have the most experience all over the world. You know, I'm wrestling with the best wrestling every place. You know, I have the best shape. I stay in shape all these years, and I'm waiting this time, the best condition of my opponents to give it the best match in my life. And what about San Antonio? Does that hold a special place in your heart? Yes, San Antonio is special because I've wrestled there for so many years, you know, and respecting all the people around, not only San Antonio, Dallas, Fort Worth, Houston, be there. Thank you very much, Mr. Maskers, and best of luck at the Royal Rumble. Thank you, you sir, and unexpected. Give me the big support, and I'm expecting to win this match. Thank you. 
Another award-winning interview by JR. This year, <laughs> Well, let's compare interviews, shall we? Let's go to Vince interview with Sean later in the show. Is that supposedly uncomfortable? What? I wonder if Mil, Mas- Mil Mascaris is friends with Kensuke Sasaki. What about Mills Mascaris? That's in world- Eric Embry in World Class called him. Isn't he cousins with Wahoo McDaniels? <laughs> we have Sean Michaels. Mr. Michaels, can you hear us? Yeah. Well, your impression. Not to be confused with Steve Bick Michaels. <laughs> and Sean is watching one of the TV monitors backstage, like they would have at ringside. Not a regular, not a TV. But, I mean, that's uh, realistic, I think. Of, uh, yeah. Victory. My impressions of Brett's victory? I yeah. mean, you asked me, like, I didn't think it was going to happen. What do you want to hear from me? Well, of course, we're getting closer and closer to your opportunity to once again gain the World Wrestling Federation Championship. Yeah. Less than a month. Psycho <laughs> said supremely confident. I've never seen him so confident. Yeah. And your point being what? Your attitude seems to be a, a little different from that of Sid's, a little different, maybe a lot different from that of Bret Hart's. Yeah. All right. So what you're saying <laughs> is I'm different from those guys. No doubt about it. You, that. in fact, are a genius, McMahon. Thank My you. goodness. I mean, did you just you just got that naturally, did I you? I do, yes. After all your years of experience with me. Yes. You're just now figuring that out. Is that what you're telling me? Look, let's think, let's put it this way. Sid is the World Wrestling Federation champion. I made no excuses. Brett can't say the same. He's made excuse after excuse. The fact of the matter is, when you're in a WWF title match, anything can happen. Camera can be used. A guy can come in. That's the way it is. When you're underneath the boards of the NBA championship, the referees let a little more go by. Same in the NFL. It all happens, and it happens that way in the World Wrestling Federation. You got to be prepared for anything, and that's the way I'm coming to San Antonio. Prepared for anything. If I get beat, I'm going to get beat like a man. But believe me, it ain't going to happen. I'm just going to win like a man. Thank you, sir. Merry Christmas, everybody. Okay. Well, at least Sean was cutting a promo coherently there. <laughs> but yeah, odd, pro- odd interview there. Odd promo. All right. Yeah. So a little off at first, but then he was completely cogent after. Um, I think that was, that was supposed to be the deal that he was supposed to be like that. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, well, also, this is kind of. Oh, I forget. Is the Nassau show? Is that during our week or? The show I'm at, where he does the heel turn tease. This is the only TV thing I can think of where he actually leans into the to that. No, Nassau, we got Chicago, not Nassau. Okay. So Nassau was the week before? Let me see. Oh, Nassau was the 27th. That's right. It is during our week, the last day of our week. Oh, okay. Are the results in here? Uh, No. Okay. Well, I meant that just show, Chicago. So we should, yeah, we probably should put these results in. <laughs> well, it wasn't nothing to know. That was in the newsletter, so I, I didn't know that. I knew you was there. So. Yes. Well, the only, uh, maybe Chicago was the big show for results in the newsletter. That's where they had the most information. Which is interesting. Nassau, like, Nassau, was, Nassau was just results, no descriptions or nothing. I could have sworn it, they talked about the Sean thing. Chicago was, well, Chicago was the big, the big deal. That's where it's in there. Okay. He well, did it in Chicago. He did the same tease with all, after the Austin match. Okay. Well, we'll talk about that when we get to Chicago. Okay. Um, 
Raw on the 16th ended with the cliffhanger angle of Billy Gunn's collapse. But on the very next TV show on LiveWire on the 21st, they didn't mention it until 15 minutes had passed in the show. It appears that Billy's going to be wheelchair-bound with temporary paralysis, and he's going to fool his brother Bart and the fans into being sympathetic towards his misfortune, only to eventually pop out of the wheelchair and attack Bart or someone else. While the angle's being criticized for copying the Michael's Collapse year earlier, actually it will turn out, according to the storyline, that Billy exploited the legitimate Michael's Collapse to his benefit. They're talking about, then legitimate is in quotes, of course. They're talking about Billy's uh, legitimate neck problems recently as evidence that this fluke injury could have occurred. And they don't go anywhere with this. No. He just stays off TV Not and eventually comes back as Rockabilly. Yes. I guess they had a, they thought better of it. Because yeah. this don't sound too good. Don't be surprised to see a breakup of Jim Cornette and Vader because Cornette's doing this Sunday Superstar show live. He can't go on the road for tours, and they're attempting to use as managers people they can sit on the road. And yes. They do that. The super, yeah, the Superstars commentary is live. It's not pre-taped. You know why that is? Because they want to be so they current and talk about the current sports stuff. and yeah, Exactly, yes. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I like that Sunday Superstar show personally. Yes, I thought, I thought it was. A, I thought it. I thought it was too. Uh, Ross did about face on Sunday and Monday in regards to Pat Off and Cibernetico, saying they weren't known as being high flyers. And I stuff about Paraguayo being on the pay per view. Actually, Ross and Cornette did a better job attempting to get the Mexicans over in one match at WCW has done with the Mexicans in six months. Only problem is the Mexicans, the WF has at this point with the exception of Hector Gaza, aren't close to the caliber of the ones WCW has. So, yeah, Superstars is when Ross and Cornette did their commentary over a match featuring the Luchadors and uh, had to change their tact, so to speak. But uh, that's bad preparation when you're calling these guys high flyers and they're not high flyers. Yeah. But anyway, during the trivia fact, one of their shows said promotion is broadcast in seven different languages. One of them listed was Japanese, which ruined the credibility of the piece because... WF is a broadcast in Japanese. <laughs> that's Dave. That's, that's Dave. Yeah, because it's broadcast in English with Japanese subtitles, if I'm not mistaken, at that time. So, yeah. Where are they airing at this point in Japan? Oh, God. It's one of the, one of the non-big channels. I can't remember which one. But was it broadcast or satellite? I know they're on TV Tokyo later. I want to say WWOW or whatever it was. Oh, wow, wow. Oh, so, so they're on cable and satellite. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, Chicago on the 26th at, at Rosemont Horizon drew 5,549 at 104,408. Nassau Coliseum on the 27th drew 9107. And 186-299 gate. Best crowd since 1993 in Nassau. And best gate since 1991. Chicago some disappointment, particularly because WCW had already sold out. Sold 8,000 tickets for their January 20th date in that city. But not unexpected since the advance was weak. And that was attributed to the belief that fans are waiting for WrestleMania. And with the high media ticket prices, we have chosen to skip this show. Let's go to the torch for the rundown. The Can-Ams, Furnace LaFond beat Fake Diesel and Fake Razor. The crowd went nuts when Fake Razor set Furnace up for the Razor's Edge. 
There were no NWO or Fakers chants at Razor and Diesel. From all accounts, they were over with the crowd. Crush me, Savio Vega. In the end, Farouk distracted Savio along Crush to roll him up from behind for the pin. Goldust with WQ Ahmed Johnson. When Ahmed gave Goldust a purple plunge, Farouk and Crush ran in to stop the count. The two kicked Ahmed for two minutes. As Goldust was about to leave, he stopped. Fans cheered him to stay, so he ran back in and saved Ahmed. Nation turned their attention to Goldust. After pull apart by the referees, Ahmed and Goldust raised each other's hands, which officially assumed that Goldust is now a babyface. The fans seemed to buy it. Psycho sipping mankind after a truck slam. They exchanged weak plastic garbage can and chair shots. Farouk pinned Mark Marrow. In this match, Crush distracted Marrow, allowing Farouk to get the roll up pin. Undertaker beat Hunter by DQ, and Undertaker threw Hunter into the referee out of anger. Hunter down Undertaker with IC title, but Undertaker recovered and got up the Tombstone Hunter. Right in the count, the referee called for the bell and got DQ'd. And DQ'd the Undertaker. Undertaker and Tombstone Hunter into the IC title for leaving. Hunter sold the move line there for a while before getting up out of the ring. The Goblins and Bart Gunn beat Owen Hart, the British Bulldog, and Justin Hart Bradshaw, replacing the injured Billy Gunn when Bart pinned Bradshaw. Fans thought whenever the slop drop was teased. The move may be so over because Sting has been knocking people out with it on Nitro most weeks. After the match, the Goblins confronted the fan. The fan said or did the wrong thing, which really set off Henry. Henry ripped off the fan's shirt and had to be pried off the fan. Afterwards, Phineas challenged the fan to get into the ring. Because arena security did not react to the situation well after it reached a boiling point, it could have been a setup. But for what reason other than fit in with ECW's fan incidents? I think that was the actual reason. <laughs> and then our main event, Vader and Stone Cold Steve Austin beat Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart. When Austin pinned Bret with a roller from behind, Michaels entered the ring first to a big pop, but no bigger than Bret's or even Austin's. A sign in the front row said, fuck you, Higginbottom. Was that a future member of the Voodoo Kin Mafia? <laughs> it was one of the Najek twins or something. That's not something they would do. Smart, smart fans. Vader and Austin came out and attacked Michaels and Brett right from the start. Michaels wrestled the bulk of the match. At one point, Michaels finally reached for the hot tag, but Brett had been knocked off the apron by Austin. In the end, Michaels and Brett were fighting back to back. Vader shoved Sean into Brett. Brett and Sean then clotheslined Vader out of the ring. When Brett turned around, he saw Sean standing there alone and thought Michael shoved him. They exchanged words. Brett shoved Sean. Sean shoved Brett. Austin then rolled Brett from behind for the East three count. Sean watches the heels left. Brett went after Sean, spun around, started punching him for costing the match. The two beat each other in ringside for about three minutes until the referee separated them. Sean then ran to the ring and invited Brett to follow him in. Brett broke free from the referee. Two started punching each other. They brawled for a few minutes. Brett floored Sean with a headbutt. Brett then applied a sharpshooter for about two minutes. The referee separated them. Sean made it to his feet, and as the rest held Brett back, Sean netted him with chin, sweet chin music. Sean walked towards the locker room. Brett again broke loose and tackled Sean. They had to be separated again. NC. Okay, this is actually pretty different from what they did at Nassau, so I'll, I'll get to that in a second. Um, interesting thing they're doing here. They're doing a local market house show angle to set up WrestleMania. That is taking place in that market. Because the main event for WrestleMania at that time was supposed to be Brett and Sean. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's it. I like what they're doing here as far as that. Um, of course, it doesn't end up going that way for a number of different reasons. Thanks, Sean. Yeah. And his doctor. So, Nassau drawing 
9,107 fans the next night. Uh, Furnace and Lafon over New Razor and Diesel. Farouk over Savio. Ahmed over Crush in Ahmed. Oh, yeah, wait a second. Ahmed was on, Ahmed was on Chicago, right? Yeah, him and Goldust had a match. Was that his first match back? I don't know if it was his first match back. The, this, this run of house shows, I believe, are his first matches back from the injury. From the kidney injury, regardless. Um, Goldust over Jake. Sean over Austin. Um, I'll get to the aftermath of that in a second. Same six man as the night before. Hunter over Marrow after four an object shot. Undertaker over Vader. Sid over Mankind. And that Sid and Taker brawl to the back after, which I forgot about. So I wonder if that was always supposed to be a Mania match. Because I don't think that goes anywhere immediately, does it? Uh, no. Hmm. Even though that's not in the market where Mania is. Now, okay. The way that they do the Sean Austin thing, um, it's not actually mentioned here in the history of WWE rundown. Forget how it happens, but Austin hits the stunner on Michaels and lays him out and leaves. Crowd yeah. had been very pro-Austin the whole match. Because remember, we're in New York, you know, a month removed from that Survivor Series at MSG. And yeah. Sean is milking it as if, you know, he's teasing a heel turn, you know, slowly getting up, gets the mic, cuts a promo on the crowd and says, the next time you see me, I'll be very, it's something like I'll be looking very different, something like that. So, I don't know, it seemed at the time like they were kind of leaning into it, but then in the build to the rumble, they drop it. Yeah. It was a pretty solid house show. If I remember right, I remember thinking Austin Michaels and uh, Triple H Marrow were both really good. And the main event was fun. But Undercard very much is a 1996 WWF house show Undercard. Yes. On television, they did a tease about a Shawn Michaels lawsuit. What happened is a female fan filed suit against Michaels, claiming that as he was leaving the ring in Springfield, Massachusetts, she was assaulting him and he slapped her. That shows a TV taping, and Jim Ross on the hotline said that Dave actually has tape of Michaels going all the way to the back, and at no point did he ever slap a fan. The first hearing was on December 21st of Springfield, Massachusetts, and the fan showed up wearing a net praise. The judge gave the case a 30-day continuance. Whatever you want to say about WWE, I don't think they would put that out there if that tape did not show exactly what they said it did. Yes. Yeah. Because, I mean, as you know, that the allegations they're pretty strong and you know if you're going to come out and say well we got a video to the contrary you know I mean yeah that's that's something that you need to uh, you definitely need to prove if push comes to shove and say hey this is what we got yeah it also reminds me of what was that story that like it was before Gabe's just decided to start turning off the fan cam at ECW shows if there was fan, if there was a wrestler fan incident, but that there was a show was it I think Shane Douglas got accused of either hitting uh-huh. a fan unprovoked or I think we talked about it on on the we talked about it on the Patreon show with Philip Havage didn't we? I think it came up. Yeah, where Shane Douglas I want to say turned around and either decked or beat up or whatever a fan who had grew up Francine. But it was clearly a legitimate act on Shane's part. And I don't remember if it was Gabe or Rob. I think it was Rob Feinstein. 
who Sh Shane goes to after, like, hey, where's the tape, since it should prove I was in the right, and wh whoever was had preemptively erased it, <laughs> had erased that portion, uh, thinking that would help, when actually it would have helped Shane. Because <laughs> that had become reflexive, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Um, I don't see anything about this... Uh, Lawsuit. This store. Yeah, I don't see anything about the store. Yeah. Anywhere, like Anywhere. newspaper sites? Yeah. yeah, nothing. So, obviously, the judge probably threw it out. All right, Devin's been customizing the television San Antonio market. Basically, that means syndicated show in the market has had a separate set of voiceovers put on the show where all they do is talk about the rumble and how to get tickets for the show. Good Very idea. smart move. Although, we're in Fall 96, so the only syndicated show is Challenge, which probably no one's watching. Yeah. I love this one. Vince Russo as Vic Venom is basically doing a Mark Madden gimmick. Predicted Bret Hart to win the rumble to get himself over. <laughs> This is a live wire thing. That's where Vic Venom was located. Yes. Okay. First of all, Dave spells Vic Venom as V N V V E N U M, like the Luchador. Venom Black. Yes. Yes. I, I wonder if Vic Venom is friends with Rob Viper. <laughs> um, Russo has always insisted he was not apprised of any plans yet at this point. He had no way of specifically knowing that Brett was winning the Rumble. He just threw out what seemed like the clear favorite, and he got in trouble through no fault of his own. To get himself, yeah, but he needs to get himself over. And I think that, but here's the thing, though. I think that's still true, because there's no reason for you to pick the obvious favorite and say everyone knows Bret Hart's going to win, unless you're trying to get yourself over, because you see the bookings flowing in that direction. At the time, Brett was going to be the winner. So yeah. I think he did it to get himself over, but I do believe him that he didn't actually know for a fact that Brett was winning. Yeah. Brett will be adding a European heavyweight title with a tournament to be held in Germany in February. Yep. Hunter Hearst Helms' new theme song, which is the same song as the opening on NBC's Suddenly Susan television show, is a lot better known as Beethoven, excuse me, Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. See what happens when you never miss Seinfeld but never listen to the classics? <laughs> <laughs> the February 16th pay-per-view has been moved from Memphis to Chattanooga problem in some part due to WCW scheduling a nitro just a few weeks earlier in Memphis but there you go Bix that's how the Chattanooga got a pay-per-view hmm. ratings for the weekend saw blast off at a 0.6 live wire at 1.1 the superstars at a 1.7 blast off was on WGN yeah and that was that a recap show, or was that Superstars with different commentary? Um, I think it was a recap show. Okay. Yeah. And then we have this uh, the torch and a transcript of an AOL chat from Doug Furness. Doug Furness is interviewed uh, on AOL excerpts. The best worker in Japan right now is Kenta Kabashi. Hopefully, we are good enough to get by without a team name. Not to say we won't have a name, but that isn't the place we're concentrating on. We're just concentrating on wrestling right now. ECW is a positive experience. The guys in the office are working towards one goal, although the egos got egos got into it a little. Shocking. Doug hasn't had the chance to compare the WCW yet. Love between the two is very different. WWF and ECW. 
Yes, Stephanie said, excuse me. The first time Phil saw me, I was a strong in a strongman contest in Montreal. He was at the show and he was a spectator. I was competing at the show and we met. Next time we saw each other was in September 1988. We did a tour together when Giant Baba put us together. He alternated me with Tom Zink, the team with Phil. Let's watch that recently, too. The, the, and there's a six-man match with him, the Ultimate Can-Ams. Um, the first time me and Phil were together, we had great chemistry. We did great against other teams in the very first match on. We had a feeling we could put something together. In the few years I've been around, Russell taking it to a new level with acrobatics. It's much different than what was expected a few years ago. It may come to the point where the levels can be raised no more. And we're still in 2022, and they're still doing new stuff, so not yet. It's difficult to think that wrestlers could be good or at the sport. It's difficult to think that the wrestlers could be good or the sport if it did. The wrestlers push themselves. The fans want more from us. I think it will go on. WCB has kind of a hierarchy there that isn't going to change. We just felt like WF was the best place for us right now. Vince has been very professional of us. You hear all kinds of stories about everyone, but until you meet a person, you shouldn't judge them. Everything Vince has told us has come true. He is a very professional man. Hmm. <laughs> well, also, this is coming off of, you know, as Melters explained it, you know, Doug Furness would always tell him, All Japan is the best job in wrestling. Yeah, it's a harder style. Yeah, you're completely away from your family while you're in Japan for, you know, the 26 weeks or whatever year you're there. But you're getting paid well. All your expenses are taken care of while you're there. And then you have the rest of the year off to just hang around at home and recuperate and spend time with your family. And he always said, you know, Bob is great because Bob's word is always good. Bob's word is always good. Then... Baba promised him and Lafon that they were going to be pushed finally as a main event tag team in 96. It doesn't happen. Starts opening up negotiations with the big two American promotions. Dave asks him what happened. Baba's word wasn't good. And I'm guessing he's going to have a similar experience here soon. Yeah. Well, that's how it goes sometimes. When you get higher, freshly hired, you know, everything's all gravy. And then as time rolls on, you know, Things will change. All right, let's go international now. And we start with uh, Japan and then the Rising Sun, New Japan Pro Wrestling. They ran two two shows at Cork and Hall, a day-night doubleheader, afternoon and evening, drawn 1540 and 1350 respectively with no real major matches. Yuji Nagata had his final New Japan match on the evening show in the main event, losing to Kazuo Yamazaki. Nagata goes to WCW for one year, starting in about a week. So we have the afternoon show. We have Tatsuki Sakiwa over Kazuki Fujita in your opening match. Black Cat over Norio Naga. Osamu Kido over Kunia Kobayashi. Jushin Thunder Liger and Osamu Nishimura over Koji Kanemoto and Yuji Nagata. Akira Nagami and Akito Seido over Keiji Muto and Yutaka Yoshie. Kengo Kamura, Michoshi Ohara, and Tastoshi Goto over Junji Harada, Shinyashimoto, and Tadao Yasuda. And Wild Bull Power, Manama Nakanishi and Toshikojima over Kensuke Sasaki and Takashi Azuka in your main event. And then the other show was just a two-match show. We had some talking segments involved. Hiro Saito, Hiroshi Tenzan, Masuo Chono, Murder, Inc. over Toshikojima, Tadao Yasuda, and Yutaki Yoshie. And then the main event, Yamazaki over Nagata. 
each band would always do um, shows at Cork and Hall. Man, oh, for for a while there on the twenty third, that was their always their day for like sh- special theme shows like this, and uh, always fun shows. Yeah, were the ones we had the list. Well, no, it would have been a different date, but like, would they do more than one one off in December sometimes, or no, not at Cork and Corkin was oh Corkin specifically. Yeah, yeah, that was mainly on the twenty third. Dream Win was would be the name of those shows mm-hmm. as time went on, where you would have stuff going on like the tournaments, or you have the juniors against the heavies. It's always a little different type of theme going on. Fun shows. Now we go to rings. It's been the largest slow week with the major show being the ring show in Fukuoka on December nineteenth before fifty six eighty. In the semifinals of the Mega Battle 96 tournament, Volkan beat Besazi Tairio in 6-17 with a choke sleeper finish, and Kyoshi Tamura beat Yoshishi Yamamoto in a major upset in 9-49 with a cross arm breaker. The latter result, the latter result was a shot since Rings has spent most of the past years building Yamamoto up as the next top star with the group, and this year's tournament appears specifically designed for him to go over. That's finishing second to Akira Maeda last year. What's most interesting about the match... It's the report that we received that the two actually went into the ring without a finish. So the result of the match was a shoot. Although the match itself wouldn't be pure shoot. Bex. What? <laughs> Here we go again with rings and what is shooting was not shooting this era. I mean, like I think I said recently, I'm kind of under the assumption that the the point where you should start a shoot, assuming that most of the matches were shoots. Or when they go from Mega Battle and Young Generation Battle, or whatever it was called, to uh, King of Kings. Yes. So, this is not a shoot. <laughs> um, in the other major matches, EFC champion Maurice Smith beat Basazi Amelan via armbreaker submission in 454, and Akira Maeda beat Baroji Kermanchev in 317 with a sleeper. This sets up a ring traditional big show of the year on January 22nd of Budokan Hall with Volkan versus Kyoshi Tamara in the tournament final which most likely Han will go over in. Yamamoto versus Tariel in the third-place match. At a surprise main event with Maeda against Mari Smith. Rings runs their annual big show in Amsterdam, Holland, on the, the February 2nd. Dave believes that David Kakashivi won the Super Heavyweight Division the World Sambo Wrestling Championships over here last month in Tokyo, representing Rings. Uh, on the Rings television show, they aired clips of five of his matches, and he won all five. Although since it was Japanese, Dave could tell for certain whether he won the tournament or not. But it appeared that he did. The rest of the results of this show here, we got Guxizi Bakul over Masunagai, Hans Nyman over Shoshikosaka, Masayuki Naruse over Dirt Bridge. I ain't said that name in a while on the show. Uh, Volkan over Taril, Tamara Yamoto, Maurice over Amiran, and Maeda over Kemetov. Now, Dave goes to the next issue, more about Yamoto and Tamara. It appeared that the, the, the match was a shoot, or these two are the two best workers in the entire business today. And Tamara isn't all that far from that level in some ways, and a great shoot match at that. The other semifinal, Volcom vs. Tariel, was definitely not a shoot, nor a good match. Maurice Smith's match on the show against uh, Amilan appeared to be neither a shoot nor a good match either. <laughs> Oh, man. As would become fairly clear in the next couple of years, Tamara was particularly good at working things in a way that was realistic but still exciting. Yeah. 
And Dave does eventually hell, hell of realize a, that. Yeah. Hell of a performer and probably the most unheralded worker of his generation. And also someone who, if he had started doing real fighting more earlier and with the right weight classes, could very well have been the best of the Japanese in this generation. Yeah, but just as a performer. And I know, I'm just saying both. is my In shoot style wrestling, pro wrestling. Yeah. I mean, because only a certain amount of people have watched him in U style and all that other stuff when he got back in to a traditional work shoot style wrestling. I mean, good Lord. He was amazing. And then all the other work he had done over the years, you know? Yep. UWFI. On December 21st, Union of Wrestling Force International president and top star Nobuko Takada announced what had been rumored for months, that the company would officially be going out of business in the year, with the final shows being on December 25th in Hakata Star Lanes and December 27th at Corken Hall. The rumors stemming from this announcement are back that Takada, along with two, uh, one or two other UWFI wrestlers, would wind up with All Japan. The two others being talked about are Yoshiro Takayama, a poor worker, but he's six foot four, and Baba has always had an affinity for tall wrestlers, and Kazushi Sakuraba, a wrestler who's improved in one of UWFI's best workers over the past year. Imagine if that happens. Sakuraba goes to All Japan instead of kingdom and then embarking on an MMA career. Well, Kakihara can say goodbye to his push. <laughs> but yeah. And Takata, Takata does it. You know, I mean, Takata in all Japan would have been something, you know, I mean, yeah. Takata Masawa, Takata Kawada. I mean, the other those would have been major ma- those would have been major matches that all Japan needed at that time because the 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 big four the big five you know, with Akayama had been working together for so long that each other that they needed that extra guy or guys in the mix and you put Takada in there and you get five fresh main event matches right there that you could run on big shows you know yeah and it's all Japan. Pan, so when two of your top guys are Misawa and Kawada, the Kata being a blown up junior heavyweight, so to speak, doesn't matter. No. And he fits, their, he fits the style. Yeah, and Baba, remember, had done that Tokyo Sports interview earlier in the year where he said, you know, he doesn't like working with other promotions, particularly the ones that are run by former All Japan personnel. But he was very open to working with UWFI because he liked their style. Yeah. So it makes all the sense in the world that we have this influx of a few UWF guys. Which mainly ends up being Kakihara, Takayama, Albright, who's already there. Um, anyone else? Uh, at that time, those are the main three. So, yeah. Yeah, and granted, you would expect an easier transition from a UWF guy, guy than you would from a rings guy. But really, all of the guys that leave the shoot-style promotions in this era for the traditional-style promotions make really good transitions. As long as they were good workers or better, they knew what they were doing, you know? I mean, if anything, the Rings guys, considering how different the style was, probably was even more impressive that they were able to adjust so well. 
but it would have been interesting to see, yeah, like see Sakuraba or trying to think. Well, I mean, even bringing in some of the like the foreigners they trained in the dojo too. You know, like yeah, uh, but it, 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 but it said here they were only take a couple on, a couple, two or three on. Yeah. So. But someone like I bet it's someone like a Steve Nelson, especially with his history. And uh, the they, well, they could they could have had him and didn't use it. Yeah. Didn't do I it. Know, I'm just saying. <laughs> so it's what happened. Happened, but anyway, UWFI ran their final two shows on Christmas Day in Hakata Star Lanes and Corken Hall, twenty seventh. Hakata drew two thousand. Corken drew twenty two hundred using James Stone, Little Guido, and Billy Scott's the foreigners. The first show built up the finals of the tournament, won by Yoshiro Takayama during a match with Takata the second night, which Takata won. All right, Hakata Star Lanes on the 25th. We have Ryuki Yama going to a time limit draw with Shinsuke Matsui, Daijiro Matsui. Kazushi Sakuraba defeated Hiromitsu Kanehara. Yoshiro Takayama over Kenichi Yamamoto. Masuto Kakihara over Yui Sano. And the main event... Nobika Takata and James Stone. That's right. Takata teaming with Little Guido beat Billy Scott and Yoji Anjo. Sure. They go to Corken Hall two days later. Shunsuke Matsui over Rikuyama. Yui Sano over James Stone. Yoji Anjo over Billy Scott. Kenichi Yamoto and Matsuyo Kakahara over Kazushi Sakuraba and Hiramitsu Kanahara. And then the final match in UWFI, Takata over Takayama. Hmm. So... I don't think I really yeah. was Daijiro Matsui. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What a weird career he's had. That's where he got that's where he got his pro wrestling training from. You know? Yeah, so. I, I forget. I mean I forget that he was a wrestler before everything else. I guess. Mm-hmm. And you know, he's wrestled this year. In uh Not surprised, yes. Tenru Project and quote unquote Gleet. <laughs> including their uh, Ledet UWF shows, as they call them. Well, the best thing he ever did was he was Mr. Problem. <laughs> this Kendo Kashin knockoff gimmick. Yes. Problem. <laughs> All right, Battle Arts. They're in their infancy stages here, their first year. It took you FM Hall on the 25th on Christmas Day in front of 200 fans. As we have No Hero Shikawa over Satoshi Yonayama. Yuki Ishikawa over Minoru Tanaka, and then Takeshi Uno and Kasumi Yasuda over Alexander Otsuka and Yuki Ishikawa in the main event. Not too shabby. And then the next day at Kawasaki City Gym, we have a little mixture of uh, Balance Michinoku Pro, as we have uh, Jin Seishizaki over Grand Naniwa, Kayantai's Taka Michinoku, Men's Teo, and Dick Togo over Nuhi Ishikawa, Super Delphine, and Masato Yakusuji. Tiger Mask Sayama beat Shiru Kazayashi. Then we have Daisuke Akeda, Alexander Otsuka, and Satoshi Oniyama over Katsumi Yasuda, Takeshi Ono, and Minoru Tanaka. And then our main event, Grey Sasuke and Yuki Ishikawa over Gulliver 10 and Gulliver 20. Gulliver X and Gulliver Double X. No idea who the Gullivers are? No. Hold on. Did you I'm check? willing to bet they're doing, they're doing pie. Oh, okay, excuse me. Um, Shunji Takano is one of the, uh, the Gullivers. Gulliver, he's the Gulliver X. Gulliver Double X, we don't know. Okay. I'm guessing, knowing who it is involved, Sasuke Nishikawa, 
This is uh, Shinji Takano and somebody else doing like a gas bar type gimmick. Absolutely. There's no way it's anything. <laughs> <laughs> because we have to create everything Antonio Noki ever did. Yes, of course. Because Sasuke and Shikawa are the biggest Antonio Noki marks in, in wrestling. Yes. I mean, let's review. Uh, Sasuke only ran for office because Noki had, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm mixing a bunch with him. Yeah, uh, Ishikawa, there's the obvious influences, but there's also going to Florida, having no English knowledge, with a picture of Carl Gotch and showing it to people at gas stations. Mm-hmm. Until one of them directed him to Carl Gotch, who then was like, dude, go to Japan and train with Fujiwara. Yeah, so... Yeah, don't do that if you're not devoted to uh, your idolatry of Antonio Inoki. <laughs> FMW. That's what you need at a press conference on December 19th. Saying that Hayabusa wants to challenge Kendo Kobashi for the Triple Crown. And Onita hinted that he would be talking with Baba about attempting to put such a match together. Many don't remember this, but in his former life, Onita was an undercard wrestler for Baba, who started with the group at the age of 15, and for years was almost like a son to Baba before retiring because of knee problems in 1984. And come back years later and becoming the Onita that became a national superstar. Okay, so here's the thing. This goes to what we just talked about, though. If I'm Hayabusa, and this is right when Bob is starting to show an interest in me, I'm pissed that Onita's doing all this because Onita being involved and acting like he's office again is going to make Baba less likely to book Hayabusa. Well, Baba booked Hayabusa more. As, t- as uh, the time went on here, so I don't think it really mattered. I don't think so either, but I mean... It, he didn't get his so triple it. crown match, though. No. <laughs> that would have meant something. No, but I mean, that's a <laughs> risk to do that. I'm glad Taibu's have worked out okay for him, but anyway. Yeah, that'd been quite the match. A Kobashi high boost match for triple crown? Good lord. Yes, yes. Um... They ran Corkin on Christmas Eve from 835 fans. Packed house. Is this really just two Wing. matches or just the result? Just the results? That's the two. That's the two that's listed. Wing Kanemura and Takamichinoku over Hideki Asaka and Dragon Winger. And Hayabusa Masato Tanaka and Hideo Makimura over Tishiro Kuroda, Hayato Nanjo, and Gosaku Goshigawara. Wait, who's Hide- Hideo Makimura? That's just what it had on the site. So. Huh. Hideo Makimura. He was a wrestler from 1996 to 1997. He uh, didn't last a year in the business. He a, was a young boy. But he's in a main event here. Well, this, I don't think this is the main event. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm willing to bet it switch backwards. Like the New Japan show where they had uh, Yamazaki and the God as the first match. And it's still so. fairly high up on the card. Well, there's only two matches, Bix. You know what I mean, though. <laughs> high up on the card. Yes, two matches. <laughs> yeah, but everyone else is a bigger name than him. Hayato Danjo really was at this time. He was a young boy, so. Okay. All right, IWA Japan. On December 20th, Keisuke Yamada held a press conference to announce that IWA, which had just gone on a business a couple months ago, would be starting back with a show on January 24th at Tokyo Cork and Hall. Yamada would head the new group, which has himself and Keizo Matsuda against the duo that recently left Tokyo Pro Wrestling. Yet another Japanese indie in the midst of a major transition, Takashi Shikawa and Shigeo Okamura. And for those who don't know, um, KSK Yamada will become Black Buffalo in Osaka Pro. Yes. So there you go. So yeah, IWA Japan comes back for a little while. 
another incarnation, and then they'll shut down again not so long after that. So the uh, Jack Sabbath ICW of Japanese indies. <laughs> In a way, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. All right, Michinoku Pro Wrestling. Grace Sasuke's talking about opening up a Michinoku Pro Wrestling gym in Los Angeles. I'm sure that sounded nice the first time he said that to Superboy. <laughs> he was being a Noki to the punch here. So he's not following a Noki. He's, he's beating him. <laughs> yeah. Michinoku Pro had larger than usual shows this past week, traveling on their normal Northeastern territory. On the Silver IT at Tokushiba, they drew uh, 1973 in Jinsei Shizaki's hometown as he pinned Takamichi Noko on top. On the 20th in Nagoya before 1501, Taka pinned Super Delphin. On the 17th, Kumoto saw Kendo, most known this time as Ninja de Fuego and Promosteca, regained the Central American middleweight title, beating Shiru. Our results are from Nagoya for our week at the Nagoya Nakamura Award Sports Center on December 20th from 1501. We have Kendo over Nehirishikawa. Lenny Lane went to no contest of Wellington Wilkins Jr. Jin Station Zaki beat Vampiro. Great Sasuke, Grand Hamana, Grand 91, Masaya Suji beat Dick Togo, Men's Teo, Shiro, Shinichi Funaki of Kayantai, and Takapin Super Delphin. And this is, of course, the legendary tour where I believe none of Vampiro's matches air on any of the TV or home videos. And after a match or two, he is made to sleep on the mats in the dojo because they don't think he's a good enough worker. <laughs> yeah. So he didn't impress, so to speak. Well, some that did impress us, Wrestle Dream Factory. Oh, boy. At Kumagaya City Gym on December 20th, in front of 649 fans. We have Hiroshi Kotsubo over Tadahiro Fuchizaki. Shinigami and Onro over Basara and Azteca. Oh, yeah. Shinichi Shino over The Wolf. The Wolf. <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. Kamikaze, all caps, and Masakazu Fukuda over Masaki Mochizuki and Takashi Okamura. President Okamura here. And Mochizuki, who's still wrestling. Gokaku Imibozu over The Great Sensei. And then for the J-Crown, yes, the J-Crown, defended at Wrestle Dream Factory, Ultimo Dragon retained over Masayoshi Motegi. Starcade is a week later? Starcade's a week later. So, within the span of two weeks, he defends the J-Crown on a Wrestle Dream Factory show on a WCW pay-per-view in the U.S. and at the Tokyo Dome. Yes. But Motegi, you know, yeah. he had the hookups. What, the Joe Gomez of Japanese indie wrestling? <laughs> well, he just, he was a friend. Everybody was friendly with him. He was able to use really? his connections. Clearly. Yeah. All Japan women. They ran Corkin Hall on the 22nd, drawing 1,500 for a 10 women's tag match, best of five falls, where Aja Kong, Yumiko Hota, Takako Inoue, Yoshiko Tamura, and Yumi Fukawa. Defeated Kyoko in a way. Toshio Yamada, Mima Shimoda, Etsuko Mita, and Tomoko Watanabe. When Aja pinned Kyoko in the fifth fall with a backhand punch. No doubt this sets up Kong as a challenger for Kyoko's world title in the first quarter of 1997. Oh, this first match is amazing. So in the David Bixis fan offer match of the show, we have Yukashina teamed with Momo Nakanishi and Nani Takahashi to defeat the team of Misai Genki, Saya Endo, and Tani Mouse. 
I, I like how we're just combining all of my least favorite wrestlers <laughs> from the early 2000s Joshi scene into one match. It's too bad that nobody booked a 60-minute Iron Woman match between Nanomomo and Genki and Tanny Mouse. Okay, so wait. If you make this a 10-woman tag and you team LCO with the future Neo girls, who who ends up being on the other team? With the, to, uh, who else was I not a fan of then? Oh, I don't know. I just know who you are a fan of now. Oh, stop it. So. Manami Toyota, Mariki Yoshida, and Kawa Ito over uh, Chaprita Sari, Rie Tamana, and Kimiko Makawa, and then the big 10 women 3 out of 5 falls match. Well, second two o- matches. Opener drew the house. Opener drew the house. Uh... JD! We have Osaka Bayside Jenny Club on the, the 23rd in front of 440 fans. Wait, 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 wait. Osaka Bayside Jenny Club? That's what it's called. Uh, Chris, who's the head trainer at this point in JD? Uh, I wouldn't know. I believe it's Jaguar Yakota. At one point in her life, didn't Jaguar Yakota own hostess clubs? Uh, yes. Makes you wonder about that name, doesn't it? No, it's not that, though. It is a venue. It is a, um... Okay, the region around the, I'll read it. The region around the Osaka Harbor was reconstructed by an association of Japanese investors. The shipping and warehouse district on the Tempazan Island was redesigned into a modern waterfront area. In the present scenario, they have a posh a house, a posh marketplace, retail center, restaurants, fashion boutiques, entertainment center court, coupled with theatrical stage and the happening clubs in the Osaka region. As apart from the busy shopping complex, the Tempazon Marketplace houses an entertainment area, the Music Club Kum Live House in Osaka, the Bayside Jenny Club. The name stands in perfect coordination with its watery surroundings. Okay. So it's a music club, Bix. All right. What are the results we've got here? Yuko Kasugi over Emi Motokawa. The Bloody Phoenix over Chikako Shiratori. Sachi Abe and Jaguar Yokota over Miyuki Sugabe and Kuga. Bison Kamura over Pequeña Azteca. And Lola Gonzalez and Esther Moreno over Yuki Lee Yelidas Oscar. But it gets better. They ran a show at the Tokyo Dome on December 26th from the 5,800 fans. Okay, this has to be in conjunction with something, right? It's gotta be. Jaguar Yokota over the Bloody Phoenix. And Estebareno Kuga and Linus Asuka over Yoshiko Tamara, Kumiko Mikawa, and Yumiko Hota. Okay. Pretty decent looking uh, JD shows there. And JWP at Sioux City Gym. Plum Mariko over Fusayo Nochi. Harumi Yagi over Reiko Mano. Hikari Fukuoka over Tomoko Kazumi. Mayumi Ozaki over Kyuji Suzuki. And Kanaka Matoya, Hikari Fukuoka, and Double Masami over Reiko Amano, Toboko Kazumi, and Dynamite Kansai. That's a pretty good-looking show on paper, especially Yagi Amano and Ozaki Suzuki. Yeah. So, so there's your Joshi. Yeah. No, got, no Gaia results this week, though. But we've got to no. about everyone else. Yeah. All right, Auto CWA. we got Eurasia here. Their annual Euro Cash Festival took place on the 20, December 21st in Bremen, Germany for 2,500 fans. Rambo, Luke Poirier, regained the CWA World Heavyweight title, beating Ludwig Borga, Tony Hallman in the main event. 
Fit Finley retained the IC title, being Terry Funk by countout. The only other, other major American import on the show were the Bushwhackers, who be Ulf Herman and Christian Eckstein. There were two title changes underneath as Michael Kovac won the CBA Junior title from Kendo Kashinbix. Yes. What are you prompting me to say there? Oh, sorry. <laughs> Took me a second. Uh, Problem. Yes, it was. Uh, Cannonball Grizzly, yo baby, yo baby, yo, and Wildcat Robbie Brookside won the tag titles from Tony St. Clair and Mick Tierney. And Dave Ness Grizzly would be better known or maybe forgotten in the U.S. as PN News. All right, the result, full results of the show Kovac over Kashid, Grizzly and Brookside over Tierney St. Clair, Sh- Franz Schumann retained the CBA World Middleweight title over Max Le Marchand, Bushwhackers over Eckstein and Ho- of Herman. Finley over Funk and Rambo over the big Borga. Was it here where he picked up the Kendo Kishin gimmick? Yes. Okay. Yes, it is. Hmm. So. Interesting guy. Yeah, yeah, Terry Funk here, you know, and work working Finley. You know? So yeah. Very interesting show here. Anywhere else I should know Max Limerchant from? I don't know what store he was running, so uh, I don't know because he was a merchant, so I don't know. Oh, stop it. Mess de Michon. All right. It's halftime, folks. So after some great uh, 1996 commercials, we'll come back with halftime where we'll talk about the Patreon, we'll hit some plugs, and then we'll come back where we go to Mexico and we'll talk about some, all the stuff going on there. And a promotional war in Puerto Rico, which is interesting to talk about. We'll have all that more after the break. If you got a problem, don't care what it is. Give me a hand, I can assure you this. I can help. I got two strong arms. I can help. Bring your family to Hoggett's Farm, where ducks crow, mice croon, and one special pig will capture your heart. Babe, on sale now at Blockbuster Video. There's a place where the season has the wonder you remember. Christmas hasn't lost the magic at Oakland Mall. The future is now. Technology like you've never seen it before. Chapter 4 on the Newsbeat, where local news comes first. NBC presents the exclusive 50th anniversary presentation of It's a Wonderful Life. Hello, I'm Kelsey Grammer. Tonight I'm here to introduce NBC's special 50th anniversary presentation of Frank Capra's holiday classic, It's a Wonderful Life. I've always had a special place in my heart for this film because for me it celebrates the very best of the holiday spirit. No man is a failure who has friends. Tonight we'll hear from many of your favorite NBC stars as they share their personal thoughts on this Christmas classic. So from our family at NBC to your family at home, enjoy Frank Capra's It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, and if you're anything like I am, you're going to need a box of these. NBC presentation of It's a Wonderful Life is sponsored in part by Chrysler and the Chrysler Sebring Coupe and Convertible. What's new in your world? If we don't dream of doing more, 
Won't we just end up doing more of the same? The Chrysler Sebring Convertible and Coupe. Computer-controlled multi-valve engine, speed-sensitive steering, race-inspired suspension, an actual backseat. The Chrysler Sebring Convertible and Coupe. It's what happens when you spend a little more time dreaming. What's new in your world? Kellogg says something special for the holidays. Ho Ho Holiday Rice Krispies Street Squares. Hope you've been good. Season's greetings from Maxwell House. As long as the world is a little warmer this time of year. As long as elves outnumber Scrooges. Just as long as the best gifts come without ribbons or tags, Maxwell House will always be good to the last drop. At JCPenney, our gifts may sparkle, but our prices are dazzling. With 20 to 40% off diamonds, 30 to 50% off gemstones and gold, all to be treasured for seasons to come. It's too bad we don't have another name for high cholesterol. If it sounded as ugly as what it does to you, you'd pick up the phone right now and find out about treatment plans that could lower your cholesterol, reduce your risk of a heart attack, even save your life. Call 1-800-51-MERC for your free booklet and talk with your doctor. Because no matter what you call it, you can do something about it. Introducing Must See TV Wednesday's newest comedy, Chicago Sons. Chicago Sons, they're brothers three. Under one roof, they have to be. If it for me, this entire place would be falling apart. Now you know Harry, he's Jason Bateman. He's hot for Lindsay. She just won't date him. Oh, this run in my stocking goes all the way up my thigh. He has this little quirk which drives his brothers nuts. He doesn't like to work. Billy, did you get a job yet? Well, at least you tried. And this is Mike. With girls he is preferred He likes to watch football He has a way with words Can I say one thing? What? I saw It's a Wonderful Life. I'll never forget it. I was seven years old, and I had the flu. I was five years old, Christmas Eve. I was three years old. Mom kept me home from school, and it was on one of our local TV stations. And I remember really loving the little girl. Actually, actually, it's kind of hazy. At the local station there, they showed it every day. I mean, be fair, I was three. I prayed to have the flu every day. All right, we're back. I hope you enjoyed this great. 1996 commercial. Remember what year? 1996 commercials that we had for you before the halftime segment. As we pivot to the halftime segment, and we begin to talk about our Patreon, Patreon.com/slash Between the Sheets. And yes, uh, the Patreon show will be out this week. So everybody, be looking forward to that as uh, we're finishing recording the show as we record this segment. And um, already quite the show so far, as uh, we talked about. 
We picked up where we left off at the end of episode two. This, of course, for our three-part series on 25 years of Montreal. Hard to believe, but yes. And uh, we picked up where we left off as we're in the month of December, 97. And uh, yeah, we'll be starting up to uh, Wrestling with Shadows as we finish recording uh, the show and this at, the, at the end of recording this segment. So, yeah, it's a perfect uh, ending to the three-part series as uh, we're getting ready to move on to other topics in the month of January. And when you listen to the Patreon show, you can find out what we'll be talking about for the first two months of the year as we have a, a two-part show coming up. So, uh, yeah, be on the lookout for that. It's going to be a interesting show, to say the least. So... Before that, like I said, we got 25 Years of Montreal. If you haven't listened to the first two shows, listen to them and then listen to this show. Then you got all the other shows that we've done in our six full years plus of the Patreon show now. So, uh, yeah, a lot of episodes up there for your $5 a month. A little bang for your buck there. So, everybody get on that if you haven't got on already. And those of you that have been on it before, come on back. It's not that hard. And those of you that uh, have been with us, keep going. Because, we're, like I said, 2023 should be another awesome year. So uh, we appreciate that. Yes. All right, Dalla, I'm, what? Oh, I was going to say, because I realized I probably should we should have mentioned it up top, but I forgot just because it. I think it should be up by now based on when we usually like to release it. Uh, we're doing our uh, annual holidays uh, free Patreon full show flashback that we've done the last few years. And I guess that'll be up by now. And we decided that since we haven't really done much on WCW in terms of what we released, we released uh, a combined file with both part one and part two of our Kip Fry WCW shows. Yeah. So, uh... Yes, that slipped both of our minds. But if you want to get an idea of what these shows sound like, uh, you know, beyond just the free previews we put out... Then, uh, if you just search for the word, I believe, flashback in the archive of betweenthesheetspot.com, then you should find all of them. Yes. So, everybody do that. Dollar Month gets you access to the Discord and thanks in this segment, which we'll do in just a second. And uh, we got the $5 tier, of course, that we talked about. $25 as I allows you to pick a show for the week. Now, uh, when you're doing that, I have probably two shows in mind just in case because it could be a show that we've done already in the past because the main show has been going on for seven-plus seven years now. Or it could be something that somebody's already uh, reserved for in the calendar as we enter 2023. So um, have two shows in mind just in case. Let us know why you want to do the show so we can help you out with that and those regarding the timing and everything. And follow the protocol on the Patreon website. To get that information to us, of course, 30-day 30 day, 30 uh, 30 rules in effect, 10-year rules in effect, and uh, Wednesday to Tuesday in the timeline, all that stuff. So, yeah, you do all that, and we should be able to take care of your show for you. $50 allows you to send for a segment of that show if you choose, and 100 for the whole show if you choose. It's a patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, Biggs, who I think this week is our new and or returning patrons. All right, we'd like to thank Mike McNeil. Thanks, Mike. We've got an edit up from a dollar a month to five dollars a month from Damien. Thanks, Damien. And we've also got Brian Stewart to round it out. All right, thanks, Brian. 
So uh, we thank all you new patrons, old patrons, patrons that have been there along the way. We thank all of you for joining us uh, and being with us at the Patreon. And tell a friend, tell people, let them know about it. And uh, yeah, let's get some more new patrons. Let's, let's, let's drive that uh, number up. Let's get a little higher on the charts of those wrestling podcasts. Patreon.com slash Between the Sheets. All right. IWTV, Bix, what's going on there? Well, this coming uh, New Year's weekend, they're doing the Restival again. Restival. Yes, the Restival, which takes place at Beyond's home base of White Eagle Hall in uh, beautiful Worcester, Massachusetts. Thank you, Kevin Sullivan. Wouldn't that be Father, Massachusetts? <laughs> Worcester. Father. Yeah. D- 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 oh, God. I, I almost said it, and then I lost track of it. What is it that he used to say in shoot interviews that wasn't true, but he brought up for some reason? Oh, uh, the high, the highest per capita wrestling city in America. Now I'm sounding like Russo. I, should, I just wanted to get to say North Attleboro, Massachusetts. There we go. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, um, enough about Jack Witchie Sports Arena. <laughs> So, yes, there will be a bunch of shows from different promotions starting on December 29th. Um, also, there will be an H2O show on Monday, separate from the Restival, uh, that has Matt Tremont versus Sawyer Rack. But as far as the Restival, there will be a pizza party, party wrestling show Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern on the 29th that is headlined by Tony Deppin versus Weber Hatfield. Also features Lufisto versus Kennedy Copeland, uh, among other matches. Then Thursday night, of course, will be wrestling open with what they're calling the last stand. So there actually is a match announced, which is a they're calling it Steel Cage Warfare. So I guess it's War Games. So they've got that announced. Uh, ICW No Holds Barred. I'm shocked. Uh, has the 11 p.m. slot on Thursday with a show he- headlined by uh, Brandon Kirk defending his newly won. American Deathmatch Championship that he just won from his wife against Matt Tremont. And uh, Casey Kirk will be taking on Hoodfoot, among other matches, on that show. Then Friday afternoon in the 3 p.m. slot, Invictus Pro, which normally... Oh, wait. This is not part of the... Is this part of the Restival? Yeah, if they're running in the afternoon, it has to be part of the Restival. Okay, they because they're calling it the Many Saints of Ridgefield Park, because normally they just run Ridgefield Park. But uh, among other matches, it includes Ken Broadway versus Australia's Adam Brooks, who I guess has moved to the States? Because I've, I've seen him on and off the last few months on American shows. And then Blitzkrieg Pro out of Connecticut has the Friday... Oh, no, excuse me, that I guess that is in Ridgefield Park. Because Blitzkrieg Pro has at, has the Friday, Friday at 3 slot um, at the Restival. And that show includes Alex Shelley versus Alec Price, among other matches. The biggest non-Beyond show of the weekend comes Friday at 7, which is IWTV Class of 22, which has the, I guess, quarterfinals through finals of the IWTV title tournament, which includes our dear friends Dominic Greeny and Kevin Koo, Violence is Forever, taking on MSP in their corner final match. Plus other teams in there, including Miracle Generation, Culture Inc., To Infinity Beyond, and the Kirks. 
And it also has the gauntlet match for the vacant IWTV world title that was vacated when Cruel, what was it? Stepped into the void, was what they said? <laughs> Something. And that features former champions Alex Shelley, Warhorse, AC Mack, and Hot Sauce Tracy Williams, as well as Hoodfoot, Adam Priest, Matt Tremont, and Trisha Dora. And then, as I go to the next tab, Prestige from the Northwest. They have a show, Friday at 11, that includes American Waltz versus Motor City Machine Guns, Casey Navarro, Alan Angels, Anthony Henry, Rob Martyr, and more. Pro Wrestling Grind has a show on Saturday that has a friend of the show, O'Shea Edwards, in the main event against Jay Freddy. And then... Oh, wait, no, I almost forgot. Limitless has a Saturday afternoon (laughs) at four with Anthony Henry, Kevin Blackwood, and more. And then beyond, second biggest show of the year, Heavy Lies the Crown, will be the Saturday at eight show going into midnight with the fans bring the weapons main event at midnight, as has become tradition with uh, Becca versus Slade versus Atticus Kogar, on a show that also includes Willow Nightingale versus Lufisto, Max Caster versus J.D. Drake, and more. So that's the rest of all. That was a mouthful. But yes, that's coming up on IWTV. If you're not already a subscriber, use code BTSPOD, and we'll get a referral fee for each month. You are a paid subscriber, so check it out. A lot of live shows this week. You're in stuff, so yeah. All right, this today's episode of Between the Sheets is sponsored by Private Internet Access, America's number one virtual private network. Even if you use incognito mode, your internet service provider storing your browsing data and many times even selling it. But Private Internet Access can help. Private Internet Access encrypts and reroutes your internet traffic through one of its own servers, hiding your data from your internet service provider or network administrator. And with servers in over 75 different countries, you can get unrestricted access to geoblock content from around the world. Private Internet Access comes with easy-to-use apps and browser extensions for all devices, a rock-solid privacy policy, open-source security, advanced customization settings, and it was just ranked the fastest VPN in the world by PC Mag. If you sign up with Private Internet Access right now, you can take advantage of their 30-day risk-free challenge. Excuse me. You can take advantage. Sorry. <laughs> I got, I got I'm looking, looking down the wrong thing. If you sign up private internet access right now, you can take advantage of a special deal only for Between the Sheets listeners. Got a little ahead of myself there. Here's what we offer you. All right. You get a monthly package of eleven ninety five a month. You get a yearly package of $3.33 a month or thirty nine ninety five a year. And where you get the big one. Three years plus four free months. $1.98 a month. $79 over three years and 83% off. An amazing deal. That's so much more inexpensive than virtually every other, every other virtual private network on the market. And if you get it right now, you can take Private Internet Access 30-day risk-free challenge. Try it up for 30 days, see if you like it. If not, just turn it for a full refund. So how you get that, do you ask? Well, you go to privateinternetaccess.com slash twin sheets to try out the best damn VPN on the planet completely risk-free. All right, next week on Between the Sheets, we're going to go back to 1992-1993 as this uh, beginning of a year and beginning of a new one, as we have one of those shows. So in WCW, you got Star K-92, Battle Bowl at the Omni in Atlanta. So we'll talk about that and talk about all kinds of other stuff going on in WCW as uh, we're in the final days of Cowboy Bill Watts. And uh, 
Hank Aaron is actually at this show. <laughs> so there's that too. So um, we got King of Cable on that show. We got all kinds of great stuff for that show to talk about, plus everything else in the company that's going on at the time. We got World Wrestling Federation, where uh, Phil Mushnick's in the news as he has opinions on uh, what's going on with Vincent Mann and Nails, and he receives a major kind of sort of award. Plus, we have news on a new TV show coming to the USA Network that's WF related, so there's that. And we got the uh, the indie stuff and uh, Dave Meltzer in Japan again as he kicks off the new year in Japan. But we don't have the Donald show because that's the day after our week. But still, we got a couple of days of him attending uh, all Japan and indie shows. So it should be interesting stuff to talk about there. So next week on Between the Sheets, it'll be 30 years. Wow, it's crazy. All right, you can follow me on Twitter. At Chris Zellner, K-R-I-S-Z-E-L-N-E-R, show proper BT Sheets Pot, Bix at David Bix. And Bix, you've had a, an interesting uh, week this past week of Wrestling Inc. As uh, one of your favorite subjects to talk about is at it again, one Matthew Riddle. I haven't actually written much about that. I did write about uh, adult film performer Jordan Max, who had been dating him recently, uh, confirming the whole rehab thing. And, of course, that's Max with two X's. Of course it is. Well, <laughs> you say of course. I'm surprised it's not would, three. That's what I was about to say. <laughs> you say of course, but really the of course would be if it was three. Yeah. So there's that. Um, what else? I had something go up about William Regal. Had the, I think I mentioned the Vince thing about all the known allegations last week, summarizing everything. And uh, also, uh, yeah, because that was after we recorded halftime last week. Also, did some original journalism around journalism, the, uh, yeah, around the Mandy Rose story. Getting some. Uh, Do you believe what her agent said? Do you believe that she made five hundred thousand dollars in a week? Okay. Well, let me just finish what I wrote, saying. What I wrote, which is that okay. I talked to some sources in WWE and then also in Impact to get an idea of how they would handle such a thing, since they have multiple, have and have had multiple wrestlers with OnlyFans accounts. Uh, so that's what the article is. Okay, so saying that she's made five hundred grand since she left. Okay. So let's see. So pull out the calculator. She immediately upped the price to the base price to forty dollars a month after she got fired. Right. Uh, supposedly, yes. Okay, so 40 times 0.8, because they take 20% at fan time, is 32. So, okay, so $500,000 divided by $32, unless that's also counting, I mean, it's, if it was, obviously it's not just from new subscriptions, because apparently her deal is that the stuff you get with subscription is the tame Instagram-level stuff, and then you have to pay-per-view for everything else, the more explicit stuff that got her fired. That's the hustle, too, on that, by the way. Yes, but... And and, and, and what they... Like, her latest post that I supposedly saw is just her with her mouth open sticking her tongue out. That's the regular <laughs> post, though. Oh, uh, it was listed as the OnlyFans post. I don't know if it was a regular. I mean, I don't do. No, it. no, 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 no. That's one I thing mean, I don't fool with. As opposed, I don't to fool with OnlyFans. Uh, I, I don't. I don't know. It's fan time, not OnlyFans. But anyway, Where, and whenever that, whenever wherever I see it, at listed as OnlyFans. So there. <laughs> I, I get so it's not the best estimate because 
we're not necessarily going by subscribers because so much of our revenue, I'm sure, is coming in from the additional money from the subscribers. But you divide 500,000 by 32 and you get over 15,600. It's 15,625. So I'm sure it got her a lot more publicity. I mean, as people pointed out, like... She didn't need. That's the thing. She didn't need a lot of a huge amount of subscribers to have a, a, to make hundreds of thousands a year, and maybe more than she was making. That, that, see, there's the difference. There's the difference. A year, right? This is uh, so he, this dude said a week. That last week. <laughs> you know what? I'd be curious to find out. Like, when did she launch? I mean, you know what? Though that could very well include a bunch of people's subscriptions turning over too. Still five hundred thousand dollars. I don't. I mean, I, I don't. I, I keep up with that. I keep up with that shit. You know. I, I, I mean, I turned you on to the uh, how much some of these people make on here, and that, that's just that's just insane. That's it's not it's not possible. It's not possible. Yeah, I don't buy that figure. I certainly. I mean, I don't think she would have done all this otherwise. I certainly buy that she had gotten to the point where she was making more on it than she was from WWE. But um, I maybe. I mean, the weird part with her, though, is that it the link was in her Instagram bio, but she wasn't, like, actively yeah. promoting it much. <clears throat> like, it was this weird kind of kayfabe thing. So, like, I, it, it's interesting that it built up. But again, you, it, she did not need more than, you know, low thousands of subscribers to make a lot of money. Here's the thing, too. That's the whole. It's the whole crux of this whole hustle. I mean, the DMs. No, if you want, if if you want to find this stuff, you can find this stuff easy without having to fucking subscribe for it. Well, she has made that difficult. She's been filing a lot of copyright takedown requests. Like when this was first becoming a thing, the weekend before she got fired. I was having trouble just even finding out what people were talking about because so much stuff was being taken down. Well, the wor- I, I can't disclose where I find my stuff, but they still post it. Oh, I know. I, I know places that didn't get caught. But my point is, though, is that the average person isn't going to look that deep, you know, and figure out, oh, or what names are they using instead of just calling him Andy Rose or whatever. So that's the thing. When she's filing all these takedown requests, it's going to make it harder to just find them. The thing is, is that she hasn't really, I mean, she hasn't really shown anything. I mean, Paige Van Zandt has shown way more than Mandy Rose has. Uh, yes and no. She has. She's shown, shown full, I mean, full breast, you know, all. I mean, almost lower frontal nudity, close. She's getting there. Won't be long. I mean, I so mean, is, Mandy, so Mandy, Mandy has done. Mandy has no. She has. Mandy has done shadow uh, stuff, and you know, she's the picture that's the most infamous one is her in front of Tino. You know, where she's got a thong on and he's naked, but I mean, you don't see anything. She's just in front of him. Uh, not the photo I saw. Well, you may be seeing a doctored photo then. <laughs> Are you talking about the black and white ones of them in the shower? I'm talking about color. Nah, then you're t- okay. There's other stuff you haven't seen. <laughs> I've seen the black and white ones, and I didn't see anything. 
No, well, that okay. So that's the thing, though. I'm not saying there was anything. That's what I'm trying to say, okay, bitch. Okay, I get where I get where you're going. You're not seeing that. anything. Okay. <laughs> that's what I'm trying to say. I get where you're going with this now. Okay, yes, it was the photos that everyone seems to think got her fired were basically like you know softcore edit of porn in terms of it's not showing anything. That's what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah, where it's there is an implication of something, but not yeah. something. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you're not seeing penetration. You're not. I know. But I'm saying Paige Van Zandt, that's why I said Paige Van Zandt has shown more on hers than Manny Rose has. I think that's... Now, I don't know, I don't know how much Man, I don't know how much Paige Van Zandt charges, but, I mean, it's just like you get more for your money right now. Who said that won't, might not change? <laughs> but, uh, I don't know. But here's the thing. Well, with, with stuff like that, with OnlyFans and Fan Time, whatever the, the hell they are, um, you go and look at who makes the most money on this, and it's ones that really do not show, especially women, that don't show anything. It's who had existing celebrity. Black China's number one. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, for those who don't know, that's uh, Rob Kardashian's ex who's been around for a while. She's done all kind of stuff, uh, music videos, whatever. Um, like uh, here's an article right now. So, so, uh, Complex reported that in 2021 she made 240 million dollars off OnlyFans. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she oh, and she has shown breast, but that's it. 240 million dollars. Good for her. Yeah, good for her. I, I definitely I ain't knocking her hustle because there's a lot of a lot of uh, <laughs> you know dudes out there that. Are, just you know, I don't know, <laughs> but uh, I saw two hundred forty million. Where was it? Oh, I forget what site it was, but there was an interview that a British indie worker. Oh, what's her name? Maybe Alex Windsor, I think. Oh, I don't want to. You know what? Actually, let me double check because I don't want to give someone's name if they don't actually have an only. I mean, I'll tell you this. I had a coworker of mine. Okay, yes, it was, had, but go ahead. I had a coworker of mine. That she had a friend of hers that started an OnlyFans account up, and all she did was show off her feet, and she was making, and and, and she was making like five figures, good for her off of that, just showing her feet. A lot of guys into feet, Chris. There's a lot of guys, a lot of guys with a lot of expendable income. <laughs> that too. Um... That's the thing. But okay, I found it. It was from uh, Wrestling Republic. Uh, and it was from uh, November that Alex Windsor did an interview with them where she basically said, like, you know, if there's always going to be guys making slow motion gifts of her and other women wrestlers' butts during matches, then she might as well just try to make that money herself off of being sexualized. Nothing uh, wrong with that. I, I, I think that's, that's awesome. Yeah, take control of you take take control of your own your own thing you know and if you if there's and there's guys or even i mean and we're not we're talking saying guys there's women I'm sure women involved in this too if there if there's guys and, and gals that are willing to plop the money down hey take it <laughs> you know do what you can do what you gotta do you know but i but it is it is interesting and what is also interesting is uh I don't know if you saw this, but as we record this, uh, Chelsea Green shut down her OnlyFans page. 
Well, we know why that is. Well, exactly. So there, there. That 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 says one thing right there. So that's one thing you need to check out. If if a independent wrestler, male or female, has the OnlyFans page and they shut it down, then you know they're heading to WWE. <laughs> I'm not sure if they even explicitly ban it now, though. I don't think they ban it, but it's a good idea to. <laughs> it's probably the best idea. <laughs> yeah, they're they're not. It's not like the whole thing that they had going on with Twitch. But I think it's like if you're kind of risque with Chelsea Green. I mean, basically, what I saw from her is that she would. It was like a little bit more risque than like her normal social media photos, but it still wasn't anywhere near any of this. What stuff. Mandy and Paige are doing, you know, Paige Van Zandt. So yeah. So Paige Van Zandt is probably benefiting, by the way, from a lower price entry than some of these because she charges ten bucks. Yeah, or nine dollars for a year. And a lot of, and there's quite a few of the uh, MMA ladies that are involved in that that show a lot. I mean, some of them show full frontal nudity, and some of them are almost like gyne- gynecological on it too. <laughs> but uh, okay, but yeah, hey, exactly. That's what they want to do, and they can make cash. Go for it. All right. Um, oh, so, we so Tales from Territories. Have, have you watched any of the other ones yet? No. Um, Are they even up yet? I'm on checking. The, the app? I saw someone mention that on the website, at least, they got put in the wrong section. And maybe that is part of it. Uh, yeah, they still haven't fixed it on here. So is there? I'm looking to see, is there like a web exclusives section on the app? But yeah, they still haven't put the last couple episodes up. Oh, good lord! I mean, the, okay, the Vince documentary is up. I'm just scrolling through oh, the latest. Of course, it is. <laughs> People were pissed off about that shit. Okay, so yeah, they are up. Yeah, they put it in as a web. Okay, I see what happened. Uh, they have it for some reason in like the web exclusive for death. Not Tales of the Territories. Tales from the Territories. So the Mid-South episode is still there. It's about to fall off of the latest thing, though. Well, you need to watch it. Yes. And Crockett is not, at least in the app right now. because Oh. Yeah, now there's no search. I'm sure there's a way for me to find it that's in there, but... Well, you need to watch this stuff so we can talk about it. Yes, yes. Well, at least I know I can watch the Mid-South one, at least until the thing falls off. All right, so I guess we'll talk about that next week. But uh, anyway, there you go. All right, well, that is it for us in this section. Let's get back to the rest of the show. Oh, wait a second, actually. I see there's a drop-down that says webisodes, so so there is both. Okay. It's- well, there you go. <laughs> so we'll so there's, your, there's your Christmas homework. <laughs> yes, let's get back to the show. Well, that's all about Mexico. We start with Canada, actually. And it's a shame that O'Connor isn't on with us this week. As former Smoky Mountain wrestler and WF Freeland wrestler Bruiser Bedlam, also known as Johnny Canine, was part of a major bust by Toronto police on December 19th as the leader of a gang accused of $12 million worth of drugs and weapons running after a lengthy investigation. <laughs> well, what is there to say, even? The great John Canine, as Gorilla Monsoon would call him. Yeah, I mean... Apparently a really nice guy if you met him in the locker room, but <laughs> I don't know if you can say any more than that, really. No. Because he was also a brutal gang leader and all that. 
Mexico, AAA. The biggest show of the week was on December 20th in Fresnillo with a one-night Parejas Increíbles tournament where the loser advanced and ultimate loser lost his hair and mask. With La Parque Jr. and Pedro Silva, Mascara Sagrada and Black Cat 2, Heavy Metal Super Crazy, Pantera and Duende, Blue Demon Jr. and La Calaca, the new winners in Caris Labomia, El Mexicano and Antonio Olmos, formerly Hakon Dorado Jr., and Mascarada Sagrada Jr. and the Yete. And no, we don't have results of this. So sad to say. Don't know who lost their hair and mask. Now, the announcement was made in early 1997. There would be a two-month-long tournament of champions. That the winner of the tournament would challenge Petoff, who won the original tournament of champions, especially at the first Triple Mania in 1997. Well, that would be the Triple of 1996. Because <laughs> we're still in 1996, Dave. Eh, whatever. But we're talking about Ray uh, DeReyes. Ray DeReyes is correct. All right, uh, CMLL. December 25th at Arena Coliseo. We have Filoso and Ultimatum over America 2 and Lynx. Lady Apache and Shoshimara over La Diabolica and Lady Star. Damiano Guerrero, Mugger, and Yoni Genjin over Atlantico, Olympus, and Olympus. What a team. <laughs> you get both Atlantico and Olympus together. Oof. Uh, Carlo Fogarty Jr., Rambo, and Riva Canero over La Fiera, Mascarabajica, and Silver King. And then our main event, Brazo de Plata, Yo de Lismark, and Negro Casas over Bestia Savaje, Emilio Chavez Jr., Scorpio Jr. by disqualification. The future uh, Talibani's Guapos. Then we have December 22nd, Real Coliseo. Perito and Guerritito Futuro over Brasito de Oro and Mascarita Sagrada. Obviously a non-taped show since Mascarita Sagrada is working here. Uh, Buffalo Savaje, Kundra, and Yoni Genjin over Alacarande de Rango, Baby Richard, and Ultimatum. Chicago Express, Intercessera, team with Lynx and Reyes Ayos, over Atlantico, Jaguar, and Olympus. Yo do this, Mark, Mascara Magica, and Olympico, over Asher Jr., Felino, and Mano Negra. And Dos Caras, Mr. Niebla, and Silver King, over Andivaro, Satanico, and Scorpio Jr. Then Christmas, at Arena Coliseo, Baby Richard and Pegaso, over Supremo Dos and Kundra. Ciclonsito Ramirez, Mascar- Mascarita Magica, and Orito, Mikiscura. Over Damiacito uh, Guerrero, Virus, Ferrito, and Guerrero de Futuro. Asher Ray Jr., Chicago Express, and Carlo Fagardi Jr. over Olympico, Olympus, and Solar, Born. Black Warrior, Mano Negra, and Rambo over Brazo de Plata, Dos Caras, and Silver King. And then Satanico won the CMLO middleweight, or retained the CMLO middleweight title over Shocker. And then the Friday show, Real Costa on the 27th. El Fierro and Tigre Cota over Kung Fu Jr., Mano Negra Jr. Adakaran de Durango, Filoso and Libico over Kundra, Lynx, and Arias Vellos. Atlantico, Jaguar, Notaman Jr. over Arcana de la Muerte, Io de Gladiador, and Yoni Genjin. Brazo de Oro, La Fiera, Miss Niebla over Fadino, Mochacota, and Arriba Canero. Bestia Safahe, Tatavana Jr., Scorpio Jr. over El Dandi, Io de Dismark, and Lismark. Year in shows, Rina Coliseo, just by numbers in a lot of ways here for CMLO. Yeah, um, would love to know what Olympico did to have to team with his lesser brother and one of the other lesser brothers. <laughs> Why couldn't Solar 2 just be in his spot? Or be in the match with him, yeah. What else? What is Andy Barrow doing here in a main event and without Keeler? 
1996. It's a non-televised show. I know, but still a little weird. Eh, yeah, it is. All right, Dilly Scoot Jr. had an ankle surgeon way back until fit the February Simulo Japan Tour. So there's that. All right, Pro Mazteca. The first major Pro Mazteca show in Tijuana since the jumps took place on the Simulo Japan Drew a disappointing crowd of about 1,500. We have a Lumberjacks strap match on top with Conan and Solcero team of La Parca beating Sakosa, Subutu Guerrero, and Damian. Told the show overall was mediocre. Let's go to the results. Los Brujos, one, two, three, and Shamu, two, over Bola de Humo and the X-Men, one, two, and three. Eclipse, Firebird, and Flamaran, Flamarion over Amnesia, Depredador, and Forestero. Io de Enfermero, Genghis Khan, and Sueño Chicano over the Pendeleros, one, two, and three. Phobia, Halloween, and Misterioso over Jungla, Rey Mysterio Jr., and Thunderbird, teaming together. And Conan, La Parca, and Sosero over Damian, Ubuntud, and Psychosis. And wait, and wait, Dave does know he appears almost a dungeon that Black Warrior, the current NBA Lightweight Champions, headed in the form of heel trio with Psychosis and Hoovy. That does not happen. Well, he comes in for like a couple weeks and then it's like, I made a huge mistake and jumps back. <laughs> yeah. He saw the writing on the wall. Yep. 1500. That's not good for, you know, in Tijuana with that group. Yeah. Not good at all. No. And you've got Conan and Laparka and other names on top. So you would think it would do okay, but. Apparently not. No? Weird. Puerto Rico! We have some pretty detailed reports on the goings-on in Puerto Rico. There are two major promotions there. The longtime dominant office, Carlos Colon's WWC, and the rival WWA, owned by former wrestler Felix Lopez Barabas, which is built by Juan Rivera, W.S. Sabio Vega. What is it, by the way, that... Why... Why is it with Dave, especially in the late 90s, early 2000s, always like months go by and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, we're starting to get some detailed reports from Puerto Rico. He just wasn't getting the sources, I guess, Bix. But I mean, it's not always insider stuff, so... I don't know. But anyway. The Americans that work for WBC of late are Juggle Jim Steele, Scovon Crush, Sean Morley, I know he's American. D'Lo Brown, Buddy Landell, Black Feather, and Ricky Santana. The rival WWE ran a show in Arecibo on December 20th, drawing 800 fans for a tour, which included WF wrestlers Savia Vegas, Sid, Jake Snake Roberts, Dutch Mantel, and Hunter Hearst Helmsley. The tour was built into a title versus title match with WA champs Savio facing Sid, which no doubt ended in some sort of decision. Let's talk about that. Um... On the Outer Sebo show, Helmsley retained IC title going to a double cat with Savio in a match where Dave Hebner from WF as a referee. Sid was scheduled to defend the title against Duke the Dumpster Drosy, who no showed, and it was announced he suffered some sort of accident. Sid was in the ring with a series of jobbers. Sokokan, Ari Antonetti, Rockin' Rico, and Gothic Knight. They all hit the ring and Sid powerbombed all of them. Jake, who holds the Puerto Rican title, retained the belt, pinning El Bronco at their DDT. However, Bronco beat Jake for the title on December 21st at Caguas. And Barabas Jr. beat Rockero to win the WA Lightweight title on the same show. 
During a result of the title versus title match between Sid and Savio, however, none of the title changed hands, so assume it's a double count out. Well, we'll get to that in a second. Arisebo on the 20th, Gothic Knight over Ray Antonetti, Rico over Sabacan, Dengadobarico and El Raquero over Barabas Jr. and El Lizarico. Hunter and Savio and their deal. And then Sid beating up the four guys, Dutch over Pergosito, and Jake retaining his title over Bronco. Caguas on the 21st, Barabas won the title, Bronco beat Jake to win the title, and the big unification match, title versus title, Savio and Sid went to a double count out. Interesting stuff with the you know, WF guys coming in here, you know, especially Hunter and Sid. I mean, that's the two main champions in the promotion coming down for this little thing for for, for uh, the other way in Puerto Rico. And that's a pretty big deal. Yeah, although it's probably not a favor for Savio as much as it is for Victor. Speaking of, Hunter Hussels will be managing this group by the wizard, Victor Quinones. If only O'Connor was here. Oh, God. I don't even know what to say to that. <laughs> hey, Victor, that's a nice sports car. I wonder if he woke up to uh... <laughs> no, don't, certain, don't. Th- certain things. <laughs> well, no. Ma- ma- well, yes, maybe everything that happens to Triple H after this is an apology for sending him to be managed by Victor. <laughs> they don't even know if anything happened. They just realized they needed to apologize for that. <laughs> so, I don't know. WWC ran a weekend in uh, Yabacoa on the 20th, Manatee on the 21st, Cagos on the 22nd, going head to head with WWE. Cagos said Carlos Colón against El Dede in a barbed wire match, Henry Gonzalez against Jorge Castillo Jr. for the Hell of Puerto Rican title, and Vader Numero Uno against Sean Morley, Jungle Jim Steele, Ricky Santana against Chiqui Star and Buddy Landell. Oh. That team. And Lale and Dilo in a death match. Why did he spell Chicky Star's name that way? <laughs> I'm willing to bet it was all, that that was not the way he intentionally spelled it. Chicky Star. Star. It probably was changing some sort of editing thing here. Not by me. Star. I wonder if he knows Kevon Von Eric. <laughs> did the TV angle where Carlos wrestled Nene and had to figure four on him when Rico Suave. Not the same one as in AWF, but the wrestler who's the crypt keeper in FMW interfered. And Carlos' son, Carlos the Third, Carlito, young Carlito, made to say, but he was doubled on by both. Hmm. That's the first appearance yeah. of Carly in an angle? I don't know if it's the first appearance, but I mean, maybe the first time he's involved yeah. in a separate deal. So. Interesting. Yeah. WWA does not last long, right? No. They had a, they had a. Str- I mean, you could argue in terms of names that got sent over. They had a stronger relationship with WWF than IWA would. Like I said you get the two main singles champions here. Undertaker came over. Foley came yeah. over. Yeah, yeah. I mean, under Undertaker getting that infamous staff infection in his arm was from, I believe, working a show here. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's go to the indie scene now, and we start with ECW, and yeah, this is some stuff that's familiar to some of you who have uh, listened to the Patreon show we did uh, a few years ago about the uh, build to the first pay-per-view, Barely Legal, as this is uh, discussing all that stuff. But no Observer stuff here. I went straight Torch, as Wade had a lot more thorough uh, stuff here. So uh, let's go to the Torch. 
each of the management and wrestlers were gearing up for their debut on pay-per-view in late March, early April. Those plans were derailed last week when Request TV, one of the country's two major pay-per-view distributors, said ECW was too extreme for their taste. Viewers' Choice, the international pay-per-view distributor, had already turned down ECW several weeks earlier due to the problems with program content. On Thursday, December 19th, when asked if a date had been finalized yet for ECW's pay-per-view, Michael Klein, Vice President of Program for Viewers' Choice, told the Torch that they had informed ECW weeks earlier they would not be going into partnership with them. And looking at the demo tape they sent us, there was a scene of a kid receiving gifts from his father and the boyfriend snatching them away from him. He said, This young boy was also shown in the wrestling ring about to be hit with a weapon by a grown man. We are not into censoring, but there's a guideline for what we will put on our channels. Portrayals of kids about to be beaten are not the kind of images we want to be put in partnership with, so we pass on the show. That's, of course, the Tyler Fullington angle with Raven and Sandman. When asked for the tape of the incident, ECW sent them a 17-year-old Eric Kulis being cut badly in the ring had any influence on their decision. Clients said he never heard the incident and they never received the tape, but their decision was probably made even before the said incident took place. The same day, when asked if ECW's pay-per-view date had been finalized, Request TV president Hugh Panero told the Torch he wasn't sure that they had finalized a date yet and there were still some issues to work out. When asked to delay and finalize on the date had anything to do with the content of the original demo tape ECW sent them or the tape ECW recently sent them of the Revere incident, he said he didn't know, but he would find out by the next day. The next day, Panero said he checked into the status of the ECW situation and said that they were not carrying the event and the decision had been finalized that day. He said as they were evaluating ECW for the past several weeks, there was a series of controversial incidents that concerned them. He said there were two incidents they couldn't look past. One of a wrestler setting another wrestler and inadvertently a fan on fire, and the other of a 17-year-old getting injured with a fork. Comforted with Paul Heyman told the Torch two weeks earlier, Panero said no one at request knew of the Revere incident before Thursday, and no one there had seen in tape. But when requests called ECW on Friday, they came clean and described the incident to them in detail. When questioned of whether he feared to take the Revere incident getting a major play on the National Tabloid TV show and thus infringing his chances of getting on pay-per-view, Heyman took a full disclosure let the cards fall where they may attitude. On December 3rd, just one week after the Revere incident, Heyman told the Torch, This tape has been seen by everybody who is in a decision-making position that regards anything in our future, including viewers' choice and request television. Well, there's a lie. They were all notified Monday morning that we had an incident that most probably was going to cause bad publicity and that we wanted to be the first ones to alert them to the situation. Tell them our side of the story and give them a tape that's so three months down the road. It's not like, oh, my God, you told me it was bad, but I didn't know it was this bad. Here it is, guys. This is how bad it is. If you're going to tell me the fuck off, tell me now. What's puzzling is that Request TV and Viewers Choice executives both said no one in their respective companies had received the tape. Heyman said on Monday night, December 23rd, that the people the Taurus contacted with those two companies weren't sent a tape, but those people don't represent the entire company. He said before last week he had never spoken to Hugh Panero, the head of Request TV. For the record, Request TV was sent a tape. Near the incident was aware of the situation, Heyman said. You didn't corroborate your story. That's bullshit! Request <laughs> Request TV President Panero, though, spoke definitively when he said Friday, nobody from ECW called our people and said, be aware of this controversial incident. Don't be blindsided if this comes up later. It's a stretch of the imagination if they're saying they provide us with a tape to let us know of the, these incidents. We never received the tape. There's several possible explanations for the contradiction other than one or the other is lying or mistaken. It's possible Request TV knew the incident was embarrassed by not acting on it sooner. 
Of course, possible someone requests who was more involved in ECW negotiations than Panero had never been told had been told the incident, but when confronted on Thursday, denied it to Panero. On Monday, Heyman would not specify who ECW sent tapes to in either company. Heyman did say the tour should call other television entities ECW deals with to confirm his December third statement was true. In the three and a half years I've been running ECW, I've told you to assume everything I say is a lie and verify it, Heyman said. Seek the truth and verify, as long as you're not malicious in your intent. I expect you to be a journalist before being my friend. I expect that. We're going to stop right here on this one. This is one of my favorite things regarding Paul Heyman. (laughs) And um, the key sentence there that has fallen wrestling journalism since the beginning of wrestling journalism is what Paul Heyman says. I expect you to be a journalist for being my friend. Well, sadly that doesn't happen. <laughs> it did here. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Kinda, but still, you know, I mean, and despite Paul saying this, he starts villainizing the torch. <laughs> For doing what he tells them to talk them that they need to do. Mm-hmm. Oh, and man. he would not specify who ECW sent tapes to in either company. No. Which means he never sent tapes. Wait, Reed is going to him and saying, okay, let's assume you're telling the truth. Who did you send the tapes to? I... <laughs> like... I demand you ask someone at Network One instead. The thing is, is you know, I, I, I'm I'm willing to bet that Paul Heyman never expected Wade Keller to call Hupadera. He expected him to call a public relations person at best, or so, yeah, not the head of the thing. No, I mean, well, okay, we should stress something though, since this is context people would have had by this point on the Patreon show, which also is one of the Patreon shows we made available for free, if people want to hear it. Mm -hmm. But this is not Paul's first big lie in this whole scenario. We need to stress that. The first big lie, not in the sense of the big lie, the concept, the first major lie in this scenario with the Eric Kulis tape... He tried to get across this whole thing that New Jack was just gigging him normally, and he turned his head or something, and it caused a big cut. The, the initial coverage the first week or so in the newsletters is the kid asked New Jack to blade him and something went wrong. That's not true. New Jack used a fucking surgical scalp mm-hmm. and cut him ear to ear. And mm-hmm. if you watch the tape, made a huge show out of waving the surgical scalpel around in that new Jack way before cutting him with it. Mm-hmm. And, grain of salt, obviously, but one of the people on the RSPW News group in the aftermath, which we should talk about that whole thing in a second, too, said he, they were at the show, I think it was at, on RSPW, and, you know, they did the collect the weapons for new Jack in a trash can thing before the show, and that after the gangsters match, a fan yelled out, or maybe during, a fan yelled out, hey, that's my knife. Yeah. Which I can kind of buy, maybe? I don't know. But 
I don't get why, even by Paul standards, he's so brazen here. Like, he should have, I don't, even though I agree with you on the theory of that he didn't expect Wade to call Hugh Panero, I mean, this still seems like something he should have realized would blow up in his face. Well, how many other things have have blown up in Paul's face over the years? But then, but he always got you know roses thrown in about his newsletters. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's I mean, when you when you're constantly expecting to get favorable treatment, then you think you can do just about anything sometimes. Like pretend that you're putting a consortium of independent promotions together. And that was six years earlier. And here we are with this. Seven years earlier. Seven years. Yeah, seven years earlier. Sorry, seven years earlier. I mean, it just goes back to what we talked about last week with Paul and Eddie. Paul and Eddie could get away with anything they wanted to do. And this is the first time that Paul is not able to get away with anything he wants, basically. Yeah, this is where all of it starts, basically, too. Which is kind of insane, too, when you consider that how how much more scrutiny they should have gotten from the newsletters for the fire incident a year earlier. Yes. I think we talked about on the sh- when we covered that mm-hmm. with Post Out, right? Yeah. That there's the newsletter stuff about the fire incident was not that If that happened in WCWWF, it would have been a humongous deal. And I if and yeah, they were bigger promotions in ECW, but still, I mean, it doesn't matter. This is a nationally televised wrestling promotion. Also, doing and you had this incident happen. Bu- well, also doing it in that building too, with the one exit. Yeah. So, like, it is kind of interesting that this is the moment. I guess just because there's a tape and all that. But also on top of everything else, Panero saying he's pretty sure they'd agreed not to go with ECW before all this. And I don't yes. think he has a reason to lie. Yeah, I mean. He talks about the the Sandman Raven stuff. I mean, that's a good what, two or three months before, and the fire incident, just no, which is a year. Yeah, yeah. So, and and, and yeah, and, and another thing too is I, I'm I mean I mean like I said, Hugh Panero is the president of Request TV. Yes. You think Dave Meltzer would have gotten in touch with the president of Request TV? Maybe. I don't think he would have well, gone. Well, he didn't that. though. Is the point. That's what I'm saying. That's yeah. why I went with Wade. I mean, in a general sense, but I don't think he would. I don't think he would have gone that high. I think Dave would have got in touch with somebody in the company, but I don't he think would've he would have gone would've... with one of his company sources, basically, or something. Yes, not the boss. <laughs> well, speaking of Panera, we were in the process of evaluating their event. Panera explained, "I don't know how objects like forks and firing get involved in their rings, but we have standards, and those don't fit it. Just like UFC had to fit various standards to be on pay per view, so does ECW, or he calls them this group. This is wrestling. It's a weird duck. This ECW is a little more real than not, it seems. So it fell to a weird black hole. If they want to be on pay per view, we're going to treat them like a combat sport and ask them to tell us how they're going to prevent such incidents from happening." They have to show that they will have doctors at ringside and age requirements. We realize they're realistic and not purely theatrics. So they should hold themselves to the same or higher standards as the combat sports. It's either real combat or bad theatrics. But the WF and WCW, these guys are great athletes. That's how they can do things safely. They look dangerous. In the case of ECW, I don't want to carry an event that doesn't know what it is. 
And I don't want to see underage kids with gashes on their foreheads. <laughs> see, I mean, ECW looking like it looked with the talent looking like it looked the whole motif of ECW the venues at this point scared too. scared people like this in a way you know I mean he's standing right here this WWF and WCW they they make things look safely because they're great athletes they look like great athletes these guys look like they just come off the streets I mean it also kind of reminds me of you know almost five years ago going into the last New Orleans mania when I did that article for Deadspin about the athletic commission stuff and you know, the rules and pile drivers and who's allowed to do what and all that. And Luke Hawk said something to me to the effect of, you know, in terms of who the commission would trust to do what, he said something to the effect of, I don't have it in front of me, they trust the Undertaker to do a pile driver or someone like that. No offense to Joey Janela, but they have no idea who the hell he is. Mm, that's true. You get leeway when you're seen as a professional outfit yes. you know when you carry yourself in that way and have that look ECW didn't have that look and they carry stuff that way Panero pointed out the bossing having clean to clean up his act after a brawl broke up in the ring of the recent Riddick Bo Andrew Galata fight <laughs> they issued too many all-purpose ringside passes on their next event they had better security and it didn't happen again that was the pay-per-view I was talking about before. The, the first pay-per-view that was on USSB when I got DirecTV was the second fight. First fight was a whole... <laughs> Look that up, folks, if you haven't seen that before. Panero did say he doesn't necessarily have a problem with bleeding on the events. Blood's not a problem. He said we carry boxing events where boxers bleed. It's the weapons that's scaring him, too. Mm-hmm. And, you, and you get it. I mean, wrestling had never seen anything like that before. That... I mean, they use chairs and wrestling and stuff like that. But to see the stuff that ECW was breaking out. Chairs to the head. Well, that is chairs can. to the head. I mean, garbage can, garbage can. I mean, or you're using this or whatever. Cookie sheets. Electric um, football games. I mean, well, I mean. Nintendos, the, VCRs. The, yeah, just all this random stuff. I mean. In 1996, that's just going to stick out like a sore thumb to these types, to Panero and his ilk, you know? Yeah, it makes sense, especially at this point, you know, as opposed to later. Um, I mean, yeah, I just pulled up to see if there was anything relevant. Here's an article from Broadcasting Cable from the February 3rd, 97 issue. This is, you know, after request as they're about face. Request TV will... I'm not reading the whole time. Request TV will be the exclusive distributor of the first Extreme Championship Wrestling, ECW, uh, pay-per-view event. ECW Barely will be shown April 13th, 1995, blah, 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 blah. Past ECW events include a quote-unquote fists of glass deathmatch in which competitors fought with sil- slivers of jagged glass glued to their gloves and a battle where fire, chairs, tables, and a garbage can were used as weapons. Another feature was a man called Cactus Jack, whose fists were wrapped in barbed wire. While combat sports have been at the center of controversy for their violent content, Request TV President Hugh Panera says ECW is different because it isn't real. What we found out was that this is not a combat sport like (laughs) Ultimate Fighting, says Panera. It's a theatrical wrestling event, except more extreme. Um, 
When Request TV was first approached to distribute the event, the company did accept immediately because executives were confused over whether the event was real or scripted. What this is is an R-rated wrestling event, Panero says. People watch it for the same reason they like going to the movies. It's not like people believe Jean-Claude Van Damme is really a spy just because he plays one in a movie. Adult audience, 9 p.m. start time, etc., etc. So you take that with what Panero says here. Do we think that's the main factor? Is Paul convincing him, like, yeah, we had some a couple of bad moments, but this is still pro wrestling? He doesn't think that Paul's being truthful. Which, good, good, yeah. But clearly it changes. Yeah. Clearly doesn't about face, and at least he's saying that's a stated reason, and it's one of his stated reasons for not picking it up in December. You know? Yeah. So, it's interesting. Like, I gotta think there's more to it than that, but off the top of my head, I think, you know, from at least what was in the newsletters that I remember from the Patreon show, once it gets to February, I don't recall there being that much more to it in their explanation. Yeah. And that was before I had access to this stuff and realized I could get all this stuff online, like from the trades. But I think some of the quotes were in the newsletters. So just a clusterfuck. Oh, we have more. I know we still have more, too. <laughs> oh, we have more. We, we'll get more Heyman here. ECW was told the news by phone Friday and the official letter was then sent. When asked Monday if the status had changed or if a reconciliation was possible, Panero said they've been told it's pretty much final. Okay, before we get to Paul, if they had just told them, why didn't they tell them sooner? If they had already made the decision before Revere. Yeah, I think Revere. Uh, I, I think they. I think Revere's sealed sealed the deal. But why? Why are they so hesitant to say it sealed the deal? I I, I don't know. That's the mystery to me in this. Why is that a pro- why is that a little bit of a mystery here? Like, I feel like that's something we should know. Wait a second, I don't think we even noticed this during the Patreon show. Why is there this gap of like three and a half weeks? If they had already made the decision, I don't know. Maybe they were, maybe they were trying to give ECW some time to prove themselves or something. I don't know. But everything they're saying is based on the demo, demo tape. Like, everything Panera saying, at least, was that the decision was already made based largely on the demo tape and the outstanding lawsuit and stuff. Yeah. Weird. All right. Uh, we continue with Paul Heyman now. According to Paul Heyman, ECW officials and Request TV engaged in a conference call this, the following Thursday and planned to have a follow-up conversation on Friday, the day after this issue's deadline, about working on a deal to keep the plans for a pay-per-view on the table. April 13th is apparently still the target date, although all sides over the last week were that it would take too much time to alleviate requests concerning getting a deal done soon enough for an April 13th pay-per-view debut. If ECW were to meet a list of conditions, some industry sources indicated this week that a pay-per-view deal could eventually be reestablished for later in the year. Heyman says this controversy has been blown out of proportion all week on wrestling hotlines, on the internet, and among his wrestlers. This is not the first time we've dealt with a concern from request, he said, but it's the most severe and the most public. Wrestlers were 
not told the glitch in the preview plans at the Friday or Saturday ECW shows, but as word spread earlier this week, there was concern, outrage, and finger pointing and soul searching. At spot shows, all the boys used to always talk about and look forward to the next ECW arena show, says one ECW wrestler. Now all anybody was talking about was the pay-per-view. Another wrestler said, now ECW might not get on pay-per-view. The first thing a lot of wrestlers are going to do is call an executive at WF or WCW and wish them a Merry Christmas. <laughs> okay. What do we think this wrestler said that Wade replaced with parenthesis? Do you think he named specific people? Or do you think he just said yes. all the office at the big two? Yes, it was probably probably Jim Ross and uh, Eric Bischoff. Yeah. Well, why, why take that out? I don't know. I don't know. You don't think Brucey was mentioned there? No, 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 no. I don't think so. I mean, we've got another Brucey we need to talk about, too, but we still got more. It's Ross or Bischoff or maybe even Terry Taylor's name. Friend of the show. Or Sullivan. Sullivan. Yeah. So, I don't know. All right. Revere. The controversial Revere incident was ironically, apparently not a big topic of conversation among wrestlers recently. Most of them had seen a video which graphically showed closeness of the blood spurting out of Eric Cools' head. Instead, the wrestlers based their opinion on the locker room seat after the match, which saw Cools being stretched an with his head bandaged, apparently asking about whether he did okay and be welcome back to ECW, which Cools denied saying. But, which, you know, you know, John Filipovich explained when he did the, sh- the Patreon show with us, you know, he talked to a lot of people, you know, interviewed formally and otherwise for the documentary for Barbara City, and it comes up. It seems like it's pretty unanimous from people who were there that coolest asking if he did it okay and all that did happen. Yes, I firmly believe that. It doesn't mean he wasn't traumatized and all that. No, and, you know, it, was, it didn't affect yeah. him later on, but... It, by all accounts, other than his own, it seems like that did happen. His dream was to get a job. And he probably didn't, you know, he probably, you know, was losing all that blood that he lost and whatever. He, who knows? He was in the right mind. So anyway, New Jack, who cut coolest, has been one target of criticism. He told the Torch Sunday that Heyman advised him not to come in the situation for legal purposes, but that no one yet knows the entirety of the situation. Heyman did say he's not holding out high hopes for resolving the preview controversy anytime soon. He's already working on Plan B, which presumably means scheduling a live TV special on Network One on April 13th instead. You can't see it Where, making a wanking motion right now. Well, hold on. When contacted on Christmas Eve, an executive with Network One said they had to receive the tape of the incident. <laughs> when asked if the incident in any way threatened ECW's relationship with them, she said she got the tape so long ago she didn't remember the content. But added, it concerned me. She said her assistant actually watched the tape, and she only saw excerpts, but she remembered it was horrific. She added, we get great reviews for the show from our viewers. I have a great relationship with the distributor, and he assured us it was a one-time incident. Never one apparently would have been the entity to inform the various affiliate stations of the incident, not ECW, according to Heyman. Okay. What? Well, hold on. Let me read this real quick. What exactly did Heyman do to alert his affiliates and sponsors to the river incident is less important than the fact that it, along with a string of other controversies, formed a noose that is threatening to hang ECW before it even gets a chance to test its markability on a national scale. If it didn't happen last week, it would have happened eventually, probably sooner than later. 
The key lies in finding where the fine line is between being extreme enough to stand out and attract the size of a crowd, yet pragmatic enough to enable the promotion to exist and expand in the real world. With probably a few exceptions, everyone in ECW wants to grow more than they want to lay claim to bragging rights of being the most extreme wrestling ever. As many different agendas as there are in ECW, that is one common goal everyone can unite behind. Okay. A few things to think about here. One is the you have to wonder why they were willing to send the tape to some. They, I guess, being Paul. Well, we know America One got it. So. Well, no, Network One. Network One is a separate entity. Well, it says America One here in the torch. No, it says Network One. Okay, whatever. Well, no, which, remember though, we talk about this on the Patreon show, Network One, like, I've barely ever heard of it outside of these ECW pay-per-view discussions. Yeah. You know. I don't even know what the hell it is. <laughs> it was another America One, Channel America, American Independent Network kind of thing. You know, low network of low-power stations. You know, the the kind of thing that if it had come along these days as a digital sub-channel network would have probably been a lot more successful. It shut down November 13th, 97. Right. And launched December the 1st, 1993. Right, so they only lasted four years. They had, a, they had Atlanta. They had an Atlanta station. It was uh, Channel 33, which is a very low-power station out of Norcross. They, had, they did have Philly. It was low-power, but they had Philly on VHF, which... How often do you see that, a low-power VHF? Huh, that's interesting. But, I mean, the station list is not big. That's here on Wikipedia. Uh, Baltimore was not low-power, but... Where am I going with this? There was no way they were going to get a live special on this thing. Come on. There's no way this little thing is carrying live programming. Come on. Also, we never hear of Network One again pretty much once the pay-per-view. It was yeah. dead in a year. No, but still, like, you know, within you know, hear from a months after this. And also, like, why are we only talking about Network One and not any other TV affiliates? Why are we not talking about MSG Network? Why are we not talking about America One? Why are we not talking about Sports Channel Philadelphia? Why are we not talking about any of these other key business relationships? Sunshine Network? Yeah. Why are we only talking about this weird low-power network that Paul's trying to seemingly inflate into something that it's not? Who knows? It's Paul Heyman. He's he's working, working somehow, somewhere on something. Yes. Now, since it's in our week... I have the Patreon show notes open in case I need to consult them. I'm not going to read all the posts or anything. We should talk briefly about the whole Torch Hotline RSPW hubbub briefly, I think, right? Well, Wade's got a little bit more here left. I got one paragraph left to read in this whole oh, thing. okay. I thought... Uh... No, this is the end of the whole thing. Okay, right. Okay, yeah, we didn't read that yet. Okay, read that first. UFC wanted to present Pure Fights Without Gloves and Curse Punches. Time limits that we got Gracie tie fighters or rules to favor one style over another. But they learned the hard way that in order to survive in the real world, sensible and frustratingly sometimes senseless compromise is often necessary to draw more attention to your product in a back alley human cockfight. 
It's time to, for business sense to overrule artistic license. Everyone in ECW needs to step back and take a hard look at where they go from here. Because there's too much good about ECW to justify stubbornly going down the same self-studying path. A path out of screaming stuff so ECW fans not the right barometer to follow. ECW has the talent and no doubt the energy to sway their loyal fans into the direction they need to go. Him and the wrestlers must take control of the reins. I wonder if Paul already had some of this in mind and was wanting to get the in-ring up. And that's why there are so many All Japan foreigners in ECW in 96. Eh, I just think they were trying to have a relationship with All Japan so he can bring Kabashi in. Well, that too, but he didn't actually have a relationship with All Japan. Well, he's trying to. Yeah, there was that. But, but ECW also suffers without that edge, but it's also Paul getting, you know, uh, burnt out, too. Yeah. So, I don't know which came first, necessarily. This whole fight, though, did seem to wear Paul out a bit for a while. I mean, yeah, he just is, you know? Well, no. But I mean, in the immediate future, at this point. I mean, getting the pay-per-view clear, then having to get the pay-per-view done, that worked on him. And then, not so long after the pay-per-view done, you start losing talent to WCW. And you got a uh, relationship with WWF you're trying to appease. Oh, silly. That's secret. (sighs) All right, so what did you want to um, talk about from the Patreon deal? Okay, let's just give the cliff notes of this real quick. So... After Wade calls request and it becomes clear that the pay-per-view is not happening, Bruce Mitchell, torch columnist, but host on the Observer Hotline, gives an update going over all of it. And at some point that morning or overnight replaced it with a different update, apparently to add more information. However... The folks at the Wrestling Lariat, so Dave Shearer, well, the whole, let's say the Wrestling Lariat prodigy Future One Wrestling crew. So Dave Shearer, uh, Bob Ryder, and to an extent Mike Johnson, they claimed, I might not have, might not have posted at the, at the time, so I, sh- I should say that in fairness. They claimed that Bruce basically bragged about the torch sending a tape to uh, request and getting the show canceled. No one else has ever claimed to hurt, have heard this other than Bob Ryder and maybe Shearer. And it leads to whole war words online, but I mean, the main byproduct of it is that you have what's, I don't even mean it as an insult, but kind of the ECW House Oregon newsletter more than the others because it was started basically out of Shearer being angry that Meltzer was starting to be critical of ECW. Um, you have that crew really trying to pit people against the torch as being the ones at fault. Even though Wade did nothing wrong, he was doing journalism. Despite, you know, how, you know, sheer source at request told him that uh, incidents that ECW had done in questionable taste, specifically the Eric Coolest thing, were, quote, brought to our attention by a wrestling newsletter writer from Minnesota. That writer excuse me, the writer, explained the incidents in great depth and even told us how to get tapes when we did not know what he was referring to. Like, that's... 
that's normal, though. That's not sabotaging the pay-per-view. Like, do you... How much... Like, do you think this is just Paul and friends feeling like they need a heel for the yes. fans to focus on? I agree. Yeah. Straw man. Yeah, and you know all this stuff about like we reached out to Wade for comment, and he told us told them. I think that the reporting in the newsletter would end up explaining everything. And it, it, the thing that honestly bothers me the most about it is that years later, when they're doing Barbed Wire City, the look whatever personal issues there are between me and Mike Johnson, you would think he would know better than to criticize Wade for this at this point. You know, a decade plus mm-hmm. later. You know, like, well, I guess it was more than 15 years by that point. But he, but still, him and the other, like, Larry at PW Insider people were still acting like Wade did something wrong. He's doing his job. Now, I'm sure Bruce was somewhat inflammatory in the way he talked about it on the Observer Hotline. You know, I'm sure that there is some truth to him saying something like ECW should have burnt the tape when they had the chance, or whatever the line was supposed to be. Um, But... Yeah. I yeah, I mean... Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, there was this on New Year's Eve, though, from Bob Ryder on RSPW. In my reporting of the events that led to the decision by Request TV to cancel the ECW pay-per-view, I said that Wade Keller and Bruce Mitchell had provided a tape of the mass transit incident to the officials of Request TV. That turns out not to be the case. Request officials do not have a top copy of the tape. My comments on this matter were based on my interpretation of the Wrestling Observer Hotline report filed by Bruce Mitchell at midnight on December 25th, slash 26th, a report that was pulled only a few hours after it went active. I apologize for the error. So, yeah. <laughs> that, I mean, that's really what sets it off. Yeah. Is this claim that he actually sent the tape. Yeah. If no one says that Wade sent the tape, which he didn't, I don't think this goes as far as it did and becomes this thing that was internet lore for decades. Yeah. But you you still hear people say shit like the Torch almost got the ECW pay-per-view deal canceled. Like, that is still a thing you hear sometimes. And it's complete nonsense. Mm-hmm. Anyway, let's get to the in-ring side of this. Middletown, New York, on December 20th. ECW had a TV taping. Sabu eliminated Brian Lee to an opening match Battle Royal. Taz came out for the match, refused to participate. Despite though they beat the erotic experience number one, Bubba Ray beat Devon Dudley. After the match, Bubba beat Joel Gertner. Sabu beat Balzahoni, a.k.a. John Rickner, a.k.a. Blue Bradley. Rob Van Dam beat Chris Candida to lose Scully and interfere with Candida versus Scully next month at the ECW Arena. Raven beat Mikey Whipper after Mikey suffered a leg injury. And then uh, after the match, Sam into Raven's ECW title belt. The Eliminators defeated the Gangsters to catch the tag titles. After the match, the Gangsters handed the Eliminators the belt and held their arms in the air in apparent sign of respect. Hmm. The Eliminators started out as heels have become established enough that they are getting cheered by the fans, so it appears this was the Gangsters endorsing them in a show of respect. Crowd popped huge for the title change. In the main event, Tommy Dream and Beulah beat Shane, Douglas, and Francine in a mixed tag when Pitbull 2 interfered in the end. Now, Staten Island on the 21st. Uh, no attendance listed. At Sports Fest, saw so Louis Scully over Balls Mahoney. At the match, Louis said the, over the house mic, fuck the rag sheets in the internet. For saying he's leaving ECW to go to one of the big two promotions. 
because of a rumor he had spread that night among fans he's going to WCW. They chanted sell out at him. Uh, he, he was be going, but no, I bet if he's going to WCW, but it'd be a while away from this. So. Yeah, that's. And I, I'm sure him saying fuck the rag sheets on the internet at a house show go, a few days before all this didn't help with everything. Um, maybe not. Michael Whipperett beat Iraqi's number one. Christina never spiked Dudley. Sunny watched the match, but from the back, he didn't ever complain about uh, the Sunny chance, saying that when he worked for WWF, the fans all chanted ECW, ECW. And now he's an ECW, all they, all they chant for is WWF personality. <laughs> Brian Lee beat Bubba Ray Dudley after the primetime slam. They, these two brought all over the arena. At one point, they entered the roller hockey rink while an actual game was going on. Lee grabbed the hockey stick from a player and hit Bubba with it, then proceeded to throw Bubba into the goal. From there, they brought him to the arcade and merchandise table and then back to the ring. Lee chose to referee Pee Wee Moore also. Taz came out and talked to Sabu for his match. Sabu eventually charged Taz, and a brawl broke out between them, which leads to the eliminators being Rob Van Dam and Sabu to retain the ECW tag titles. Match begins a one-on-one match Sabu and Perry Saturn and turned into a three-way dance in part because the fans chanted three-way dance. As their match, the eliminators raised the arm of the gangsters and Van Damme and Sabu. That's the intermission that lasts 25. Taz came out street clothes and belittled the crowd. <laughs> Why are they doing this? He was in street clothes even though he was scheduled to face Van Damme on the car. Sabu came out with help by Pauline and security. Raven beat Devon Lilly. After the match, Joe Gardner announced Devon as winner on points. So Pitbull 2 in the Blue World Order attacked him. Devon tapped Pitbull 2 with a chair, and the BWO made the save. And Pitbull 2 won a BWO t-shirt after the match. In time, Dreamer and Beulah beat Shane, Douglas, and Francine when Dreamer pinned Douglas. Before the match began, Douglas told Beulah he would slap the taste of Kimono right out of her mouth. <laughs> Afterwards, uh, Shane beat up Dreamer, so Pitbull 2 made the save. Dreamer gave Francine a pile driver. In the main event, Raven beat Sam answering retained the ECW title. After an assist from the Blue World Order. Sam Andy ran through the crowd and smashed a beer can over his head and comes over the forehead. Because now for Sam is still the top belt, they said a match he wouldn't be for the title unless Sam Andrew returned the belt. He went to the back, got the belt, Raven hit Sam with a chair when he came out from the back of the air back area. They should cane and chair shots into the aisle and brought him to the crowd, knocking several people over in the process. They brought over the to the wall into the tr- two trucks. Sandman whipped Raven, knocking him over another fan in the process. They brought on the concession area. Security tried to keep people back. They both ended up going through a table. Finally, they returned to the ring where Lori Fullington interfered. Sandman ripped off some of her clothes and spanked her. BWO came out. Sandman got, uh, Raven got set with them, for, so he attacked them. Star, uh, Stevie and Raven faced off briefly and pushed each other. Stevie then superkicked Sandman DT, and Raven DDT'd him to get the win. Me and the rest of the time of the Talking about the sign autographs for the kids during the show. So here they're, you know, we're starting to get that sea planet for Stevie and Raven here. As, uh, really they've been building up possible tension for almost a year, and then here it comes. But, I mean, they were so married to where they were at for Barely Legal. I mean, it's a shame we didn't get Raven and Stevie in a big singles match in this era. Yeah, they just kind of break up, and that's it. Yeah, you your eight man. And there's no blow-off, because Stevie's not the one winning the title from Raven. Yeah. Yep, exactly. 
<laughs> Not working now. Um, you've been building to this thing for almost two years. Yeah. And then you just don't do anything with it. No. Um, the Douglas comment about slapping Kimona's taste out of Beulah's mouth um, reminds me of... Have we ever talked about this on the show before? Uh, earlier in the year, Wade Keller's uh, Mother's Day letters from wrestlers to their moms. Yeah, I'm a big remember it. Okay. Um, I just want to make sure I find the right line of it. Oh, yeah, because the longest one is Wade writing as Dreamer, and it includes stuff like, I'm, I love Beulah. If she wants to go out with Kimona, that's okay, because I enjoy watching them in bed. They don't know <laughs> I'm watching them. So if you should ever fly in for a family get-together, please don't mention that I like watching them. I hide out for hours in the closet waiting for them to spend the night together. They talk about stuff I don't understand, but then they, well, you know, do it. It's really fun. I wish I could chant ECW, ECW, or... You're hardcore at them while I watch. But then they know I was there. I don't know if Beulah would still love me if she knew I snuck peeks at her in Kimona. I bet she would. <laughs> oh, me. And in uh, something that'll dovetail with the Patreon shows we're doing right now and Wade's opinions on Brett a year later. Dear Mom, I'm still the best son there is, the best son there was, and the best son there ever will be. Sincerely, Brett the Hitman. <laughs> yeah. The December 27th show in Downington, Pennsylvania just saw 969 fans paying 14735 which is considerably up from the previous show. And the basic results are kind of similar to all these we just talked about. So, all right. Yeah, it's a long ECW section. A lot going on here. But there ain't a whole lot going anywhere else because it's Christmas week. Yeah, so we do, let's keep it all we, together. Yeah. yeah, we do have the MEWF. They were at Teamsters Hall in Baltimore on December 27th. We have Cat Burglar. Over Bodacious Pretty Boy. <laughs> Samoan Gangsta Tribe, Samu and a different Coco Samoa, meaning Glenn Osborne and the Rock and Rebel, known as Dark Side. Yes, Rock and Rebel was on a tag team named Dark Side. I question that. That's what it says here. What did was he also That's in a what tag it says? Was he also in a tag team named the Jews? <laughs> I wonder if he called it. Well, whatever. Uh, Joe Thunder beat Lucifer. Not mighty Joe Thunder. And not Kevin Sullivan as Lucifer. Adam Flash retained the MEWF Light Heavyweight title going to a double DQ with Quinn Nash. Knuckles Sandwich and Clover Lang beat Johnny Desire and Earl of Pearl. Of course. Mark the Shark Schrader defeated Devin Storm. Corporal Punishment over Pablo Marquez. Jimmy Cicero over Jason Knight. And uh, Axel Rotten retained the maybe the heavyweight title beating Mark Shark Schrader. So Mark the Shark Schrader worked a half hour match with Devin Storm and then came back in the main event and worked six minutes. Obviously selling for uh, somebody here. Yeah, I guess so. Um, very Maryland show here. Oh yes, yes. There is no more indie opener name in 1996 than Cat Burglar defeated. Bodacious pretty boy. Those yeah. names are just perfect. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's go to this story. Sabu no showed the December 27th show in Gastonia, North Carolina, where he's scheduled to face Rob Van Dam. The promotion told the fans Sabu simply no showed and put the Barbarian against Van Dam instead. A little bit of a Peach State flavor to that match. That's a totally different style of work, too. Sabu to the Barbarian. <laughs> 
I mean, 1996 Tennis. Indie Barbarian, so he's not afraid to go off the top rope through tables. I guess. Tennessee Mountain Wrestling. They're going to show Freedom Hall in Johnson City on the 27th. Yeah, Chris Steelhart going to a draw with a TCB man. Dr. Dan and the Orderly over Brian Wayne and Mike Powers. The spoiler over James Blevins by his qualification. Eddie Golden wins a double count over Ricky Rocket. Bailey Landell over 8-Ball Jones. And then Bunkhouse Buck and the Mongolian Stomper over Ricky Morton and Tracy Smothers in your main event. Well, it's nice they made up. Yeah. Yeah, well, money would make you do that. Yes. I'm curious how much Terry Landell drew running Freedom Hall. Ah, uh, who knows? Well, I mean, Bo might know. He'd tell us in a, in a rent, DM or something. I know the rent was fairly cheap there, but still. Interesting to see him running there. And also yeah. another instance of the original Dr. Dan. Yeah. IWA Mid-South. Ian Rotten's group in Louisville called the IWA Drew's record crowd on December 26th. Draw 312 fans using their headlining gimmick, the U.S. said W.A. sitting in wrestle to run the promotion out of business. And they used Tracy Smothers, Tommy Rich, and Ricky Morton as the U.S. W.A. heels against the locals, Ian Rott, Madman Pondo, and Doug Gilbert in the main event. Fans are told to bring Christmas ornaments to ringside for the wrestlers to, to uh, use in a match. There's something to, in the feud between these two groups starting on January 2nd. As U.S. W.A. is moving their weekly shows from Tuesday to Thursday in Louisville to go head-to-head. Hmm. Well, results of this show at the Derby Arena. We have Tarrant the Great retaining the Mid-South lightweight title over Wild Child. And then Ian and Tracy, the winner, no. Chris Comet against Sean Casey in a super kick match, winner unknown. Bullpen against Tommy Rich, winner unknown. Gator McAllister and Ox Harley against Rough Rider, Cody and Colway, winner unknown. Doug Gilling is Ricky Morton, winner unknown. Four quarters of death, pain, death match. Man, man, Pondo over the Rock and Rebel. And then, uh, the Beast. Excuse me, Rock and Rebel. The Beast, sorry. I don't know, Rock and Rebel's on my mind for some reason. That's <laughs> the kicking over that dark side thing. Uh, <laughs> Tracy Smothers, Tommy Rich, and Ricky Morton defeated Ian Rotten, Man, Man, Pondo, and Doug Gilbert. Sure. Well, that's a main event, yeah. Yeah. Um, how were they drawing at the Gardens at the time, USWA? Uh, December, I don't think it was great because, I mean, they were doing really good in 95, but that was a smoky angle. So I don't think they were doing too great here. So. But why are you gonna, why are you gonna move it opposite the local indie that's running weekly, though? Uh, they try to fuck with IWA. IWA really a threat to them at this point? Doesn't, it, it doesn't matter. I guess. Well, anyway, let's it's go. It's pride, Vix. Yeah, they come go. in. They, they come in the territory, so we got to go after. Well, let's talk about them then. The yeah, USWA. There have been reports that due to Christmas, we've been able to confirm that Jerry Jarrett has sold fifty percent in his company, Jerry Lawler, which would make Lawler owner of the vast majority, if not all, the points in the company. The idea that Jarrett would begin the wrestling industry entirely, if that is the case, speaks volumes about the future of this promotion. Well, it's time to get out. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So. And, I mean, it was true. You know, Jarrett was looking to get out. He was losing money. And 
Lawler was willing to offer him, what was it? It was 500000 for the half, and then he sold half of his half to Larry Burton, something like that. Yeah, something like that. Which was really more than this company was worth at the time. So Jerry Jarrett's like, hell yeah, I'll take that deal. And then there's all the shenanigans with XL Sports and Ohio and all that. And uh, court cases that drag on for a decade. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Okay, here's from one of the court rulings. Here's the summary from the judge, okay, of the factual background. Uh, USWA was a trade name used to designate a wrestling entertainment business based in Memphis, Tennessee. They distributed a weekly wrestling television show and promoted periodic live wrestling events. For 20 years prior to October 96, it had been co-owned by the same two men, Jerry Jarrett and the defendant, Jerry Lawler, the latter known to wrestling aficionados as the king. Jarrett had initially owned a majority interest in the business, but he and Lawler each held a 50% share by 96. Jarrett testified that although the USWA had been highly profitable in the 1980s, it was regularly losing money by the mid-90s. Lawler, nonetheless, approached Jarrett in the summer of 96 with an offer to purchase Jarrett's head of the business. Jarrett, who said he was burnt out after spending many years in the world of pro wrestling, was willing to sell by an agreement uh, dated November 15th. Okay, so we're actually a month past all that. Jarrett undertook to sell his half of the business to Lawler for $250,000. Okay, so I remembered that wrong. I was thinking of some of the other prices later. Despite the USWA's red ink, Lawler entered into an employment contract in October 96 with a man known as Larry Burton, promising to pay Burton $750,000 in 52 equal installments. It is unclear precisely what consideration Burton was to render under his employment contract. (sighs) Furthermore, be that as it may, and then from there, notwithstanding, perhaps indeed, the parties disagree as to whether Burton was working for Lawler personally for the USWA, but Lawler does admit that the employment contract contained incent- monetary incentives for Burton if he helped increase the revenue of the business. And at the same time, uh, Lawler's talking to Jarrett. He's working on a deal to sell the entire business to Burton and at the price of $500,000 per 25% share. This whole thing is so crooked just from the beginning. All right, well, let's go to TV. As uh, Corey Macklin beat Randy X in a Lose Leave Town match on December 18th. At the beginning of the December 21st television show, Dave Brown told The Nation that if they touch either he or Corey, they'd never wrestle in USWA again. Well, The Nation needs some new recruits, and they brought in Don Bass, the same cowboy, as the newest member of The Nation, although he never really taught. He was just there. Um, and they announced that Wolfie D and Queen Moisha, as Dave spells it. <laughs> Moisha. But he spells it M O I S H E. That trips me out every time I see it. Moisha. How many weeks did he do Queen Moisha? <laughs> Pretty much the whole run. Oh my God. <laughs> the former Miss Texas. Moisha. Lord have mercy. <laughs> I'm checking when Hanukkah started in 96. Uh, unfortunately, Hanukkah has passed by this point. It was the 5th through the 13th. Yeah. All right. Uh, they weren't in the studio because they were on vacation together. 
So the main thrust of the TV has been of a 12-man concession stand brawl match in which all sorts of concession stand items were placed at the ringside and were legal to use. The face team was Jerry Lawler, Brian Christopher, Dutch Mantel, Bill Dundee, and Burke House Brown with a mystery partner who turned to be Mabel against the NOD, which was Jamie Dundee, Wolfie D, Kareem Olajuwon, Rage Be Fine, Akeem Muhammad, the former Big Black Dog, Don Bass, and Sir Moe. What a match. So that was what the TV was building up to. The rest of the show had Law defend the unified title against Akeem Muhammad. Oh, this is Miss Alcalcium show, excuse me. Wolfie defend the USDB title against Brian Christopher. Bill Dundee against Jamie Dundee. Steve Dunn and Flash Flanagan defend the tag titles against Mike Samples and Vic the Bruiser. Victor Lewis with a bleach blonde hair look that Dick the Bruiser, like crew cut. Sir Mogus, Dutch Mantel, Brickhouse Round versus Kima Lodge One, and Tony Fault versus Blaze. And Maybelline to be introduced as a mission partner by making a save as the NOD was attacking Lawler. But the big news of this show for us was uh, Elliot Pollock, who has been ECW television as part of Brian Pillman's Entourage, and had been around on TV for a few weeks, was officially announced as the commissioner at USWA by Jerry Lawler and Santa Claus. Let's go to the clip. Here's the king. We were just going to talk about some of the action coming up here this week. Well, I know it's going to be plenty of action, and apparently, uh, you know, Santa was out here a little bit earlier, and uh, he just informed me that he's got an early Christmas present for the USWA, and I think he wants to bring him out right now, and I don't know. Uh, yeah, here he comes right now. Here's oh, Santa. Good. All right, the early Christmas present is Elliot Pollock, is that? Well, I guess so. <laughs> this is something that uh, the USWA has been needing for a long time now, and we have a new commissioner. Oh, all well, right. Maybe we could get some things straightened out like this nation of domination and some of this foolishness that's been going on around here, right? Well, Dave, you know, these discussions have been going on for a long time <laughs> as to my involvement here. USWA for years has been a what driving a weird force visual. of professional This is wrestling. a show photo. Starting today, there's going to be some changes in the USWA. Well, it needs to be a bunch of them, as a matter of fact, especially involving this nation of domination. Hope, right? All changes for the better. I noticed the incident you had with the uh, nation of domination. They will be instructed. They may not touch any announcer in this program. Good. Thank you, Santa. <laughs> Thank you, Santa. Nation of Domination will follow rules and hey, regulations Santa. like everybody else, or they will suffer consequences. Outstanding. Very good. It's a pleasure to have you on board, hopefully. Uh, uh, Checking rings and watches. And I'm, <laughs> I'm just trying to kiss up to the commissioner, you know. <laughs> but anyway, hey, listen. What I'd like to do, if we can... Can I get the rest of the dream team out here and get all of these great people to join us in a Let's little look bit? At this. You know, it's Christmas time. We did this last year. We got the the letter poured in asking for us to do it again. Yeah, so I, here I comes they go sing it. We're finally getting it because we didn't have it last year. Along his guitar, we're gonna get everybody to do a little harmonizing. We're gonna get ready for some action Friday night, and we're gonna do it with a song. We already got Santa here. We want to let everybody know that he is come on, yeah, come on. coming to town. I don't know what this coming Tuesday in. night. Where's Tom? Tom, you over here? Tom, yeah. There's Tom. Hey, Tom Nunnery, Vicks. Ready to go. Santa Claus is coming to town. Go on out front, Tom. You better not cry. You better not cry. You better not cry. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. He's making all the lists and checking his flights. Gonna find out who's going to be. Mabel is doing his records for that. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows the 
Cupid, bad or good, so be good for goodness. Oh, 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 oh. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. He's here. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness. Ho, 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 ho! Watch out, better not cry, better not cry, I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. Let's go over the people here. Sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness. Ho, 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 ho! Better watch out, better not cry, better not cry, I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. They should have Mabel jump and stress the Santa. Santa Claus is coming to town. He sees you when you're sleeping. Okay, none of them keep going. He knows if you've been. But they're just with the crowd now. Are there? Is there really only one person this song? But I'm not crying. I'd like to thank all uh, USWA fans for a great year this year. Happy holidays to everyone. Oh, and yeah. don't forget about the big action that is coming up this week. The only ones that's not going to have a Merry Christmas is the Nation of Domination. So get ready, boys, because we're going to put it on you, and I mean put it on your heart. Until next week, for Corey Macklin, <laughs> I'm Dave Brown. Brian Chris is going to come on in like them in there come oh, on okay. in before. Yeah. Thanks, Zach. I thought we were out of time here. We've still got a little bit of time. Let's show that live television. Coming up, oh, yeah. Uh, That's great. All right. Um, I also love that Mabel is wearing, like, the Viscera leather duster, too. Yes. Um. So I was digging around. I don't know if I'd ever seen this before, but Harry Burton sued the Selkers in 99. And guess whose name comes up in the court decision, Chris? Elliot Pollock. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> so I won't, I won't read this all verbatim, but in October, Larry Burton moves from California to Memphis to become general manager of the USWA, which I don't think I'd read. So Warrior Sports was just Jarrett's share. It was not a company co-owned by Lawler and Jarrett. It was owned by Lawler and Warrior Sports. So on October 22nd, Burton and Lawler entered an agreement under which the USWA retained Burton's services to conduct all of the USWA's merchandising operations. Hmm. Home videos. And shirts and stuff, yeah. Oh, USWA Heat, yes. The agreement explicitly referenced Burton's intentions to enter an agreement with Mark Selker to manufacture and market products under the USWA name. Uh, the same day they, Burton and Selker entered the agreement, Selker would produce t-shirts and other products. They'd share net profits. In executing the merchandising agreement, plaintiff Burton was represented by attorney Elliot Pollock. Mark Selker was represented by his father, Eugene Selker, of the firm Selker and Ferber. And uh, then they get into the sales stuff, and later on... Uh, as I search ahead on for Pollock's name again. Wait. Here we go. Um, Burton told Selker he needed counsel to represent him in the acquisition of the USWA. And then, okay, it becomes an issue, I guess, that Selker's dad is the lawyer here. And then no one, but no one forced him to use uh, Eugene Selker. Burton offers no explanation why he did not use Elliot Pollock to represent him here. 
Okay, so Elliot Pollock doesn't represent him in the sale, only in this weird merchandise agreement. But, yeah, that's what Elliot Pollock's doing here. He is, on some level, uh, Larry Burton's lawyer. <laughs> wow, so there you go. And he was legit <laughs> Pillman's agent, right? Yeah, there was something there, yeah. Yeah. Also, I love reading about the stuff where... The whole thing about Vince telling Burton and the Selkers that the, he estimated the value of the USWA somewhere between six and eight million. Yeah. That's the thing people always forget about this story. Vince has a huge hand in Lawler pulling this stunt. Yeah. I'd love to know the reasoning behind that. Yeah. Anyway. Enough. USWA tag titles were held up after the December 27th Memphis show match with Steven Dunn and Flash Flanagan. I guess Mike Samuels and Victor Bruiser and the rematch was scheduled for the January 1st Memphis show. That's how it's right, CW... Memphis? I'm shocked. Anyway. Oh, yeah. CWA, Bix. I don't think they're Confederate anymore at this point, are they? I think they're championship wrestling a lot at this point. Yeah. They're in a sports war in Dallas front at 900 on December 20th. We have Firebreaker Chip <laughs> over Gary Jackson. <laughs> Ass. We have Sean Summers retain the CWA television title going to a 10-minute draw with said man. Said man, Cedric Crane, yes. A, uh, who will be in the USWA at the very end as Cedric of Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Devin Michaels over Mike Blackheart by disqualification. Iceman King Parsons over Raven. No, not Scott Levy in two minutes. Action Jackson and Al Jackson over Manu and the one-man game by disqualification. Charlie Norris over Steve Do It To It Cox. What? What is he doing <laughs> Scott, here? Scott Braddock over Mike Davis. The Wild Bunch, Wild Bill and Blackboard over Amos Moses in Big Country. Set Man over Manu. Firebreaker Chip won the TV title for Sean Summers. Ice Man King Parts over Mike Reed. Mike Blackheart and Scott Braddock over Diamond Dave and Hotshot Cassidy. The Colossal Kongs, Destructor and King, over the Sicilian Stallions, Guido Falcone and Vito Mussolini, oh, by count out. And then Rob Price, Tennessee Bay title being Sam Houston. Okay, this must be a TV taping for whatever TV they have. It is, yes. Um, their local TV. Did not realize that Cassidy Riley ever had a run. I do not think that's the same one. You think there just happens to be another late 90s wrestler named Hotshot Cassidy? Yes. Yes, I just think it's a it's a circumstance. Oh, actually, no. Didn't we look this up at one point and we found out he was from Louisiana or something? I mean, it's possible, but I just don't think it's him. I don't know. I mean, I just don't think so. I think we looked this up and it did turn out to be him. Because, yeah, you, okay, yeah, you look at early stuff on the cage match profile and obviously not necessarily the same guy, but it, it's, it's someone who could have potentially been there. I mean, well, also remember, uh, first time I ever saw him was when Rob Russin came back briefly and had those tapings at Casino Magic. Like, that's close enough to Texas. So, like, it, it tracks. I mean, there are no results of him being based out of the Nashville area on Cage Match until 2000. <laughs> yeah. So it, I think it is the same guy, but I guess it's possible. Know. I just don't. I don't know. Yes, he's saying he was mighty, mighty young here. 
Yeah, well, how old, I think it said he's 45 now, so... If he's if he's a southwest hey, guy, it, it, it's possible. It's possible, possible. Yes, and one assortment of Dallas guys. This is too across like generations. It almost feels like of your indie guys. You've got Gang. You've got the Sicilian Stallions. You've got the Kongs. You've got Scott Braddock, who, who even knew he was I, still around at this point. Iceman, Butch Blackheart. Yeah, a lot of different people. All right, well, the AW, <laughs> yeah, well, AWF, not good news. It's BKS Bait Syndication said alerted this past week to all stations that carry the AWF that the television show that this past week going to be the final show sent out. There have been talk of AWF continuing the ghost after dropping compensation to stations for carrying the show, but signing financial reasons, syndicators said the show was being canceled. So no more Mick Karch and Lord Alfred Hayes. No, but some of the people who were involved will come back together and little over three years and bring us the WXO. Well, yeah. And those people were also months earlier trying to get the TNN time slot instead of ECW for some reason. Yep. Which is a weird story that I don't think either of us were aware of until we did the ECW on TNN shows. And, we, you know, who knows where we'd be without WXO and Johnny Ace. You don't got it? Get it. Don't get it? Figure it out. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's go to the World Championship Wrestling and a very small section for them this week. One of the smallest we've ever had for them, even with Nitro going on. As we go to Monday Nitro on December 23rd, which drew us up in the Macon Coliseum in Macon, Georgia, 4900 paying $63,400 gate. It was not only by far the largest wrestling gate ever in Macon, but a record gate for the Coliseum breaking a mark set by Tito Santana's sister, Ariva McIntyre. <laughs> And you're not sure. Why I was not, not at the show. At this show. I'm not. I don't remember why I was not at the show. Because I went to every Nitro in the local area. I think this is the first Nitro after that horrific Columbus show that we went to. So maybe that was why we had a bad taste in our mouth from that show. Which so maybe was that, that was it. But that was the one with the the whole uh, sting in the limo outside of the in the rain with in the rain. Yeah, where every it, yeah. everything was going on outside the building, basically. Okay, and of course there's no monitors in the building, so everybody was racing over to the to the windows and the hallways, trying to see what's going on outside. Not good, not a good idea. So anyway, and this was a beginning of a pattern here. Uh, two straight years of the go home show for Starcade being uh, in Macon. So, yeah. Uh, the show went Eddie Guerrero beating Chris Benoit in the semifinals U.S. Heavyweight title tournament during a match with DDP at Starcade. Woman wasn't there, which was part of the angle. Eddie won 13 5 with a twisting frog splash in a three and three quarter star batch. Um, we're going to intersperse some uh, torch stuff in here, too. They had an instant interview airing with Kevin Sullivan as if the match in the ring didn't deserve the entire focus of the program, as Wade says. What's worse, they cut an entire from the match at 2 minutes 10 seconds for about 10 seconds when DDP came to the broadcast table to comment on the match. And uh, went into the whole thing here. It says, uh, if there was ever a time to experiment with a marathon match on Nitro, this might have been the right opportunity. With all the anticipation in the Star Kid, they probably could have held the portion of the audience they feared might tune out normally during a long match. 
being this is semifinals U.S. title tournament, and given the talent level in the ring, it would have been an interesting experiment. Thus, the relatively quick conclusion was disappointing. All right, following that up with Gene Oakland with the Horsemen and Deborah. No Ric Flair, though. Well, he's not there. at first. Sorry. Or- not at first. Yes. So let's go to the clip, shall we? Here of uh, Gene and the Horsemen and Deborah's getting a little salty with Chris Benoit. So. Tony Schiavone, they're going to be hanging from the rafters all night long tonight on Nitro. Let's welcome, ladies and gentlemen, the four horsemen, Steve Mamba McMichael, the enforcer, Arn Anderson, Tony Tangent Queen, Deborah McMichael, and the 13-time WCW Heavyweight World, a nature boy, Rick This holiday season tonight on Nitro. That had to be an unanticipated and unsuspecting loss for him tonight. I want to talk to Chris Benoit a moment or two, but Arn Anderson, we vividly recall last week you taking a real shellacking at the hands of Kevin Sullivan, the Taskmaster, going one-on-one. Many say that this should have been Benoit's match, but you were there instead of Benoit. Right now, your thoughts regarding that subject. A focused Chris Benoit would have never lost that match, but that's another story. Yes, give any man in this audience what his worst nightmare is. He'll tell you it's coming home from a hard day's work, opening his front door, walking in and seeing some other man sitting on the couch with his woman. But there's one that goes worse than that. It's being the man sitting on that couch when that door gets kicked open and that husband or boyfriend comes flying in the door and you see that rage in his eyes because you know no matter what that man does to you, no matter how severe, you deserve it. Well, last week I saw that rage in a man's eyes and I smelled it on his breath. And every time Sullivan popped one of those fists into my face, I knew somebody deserved it. And Chris Benoit, that somebody is you. I took that beat. Okay, we should probably note something here before we continue with the promo. Benoit and Nancy are not together in real life yet. No. And I'm not sure how much he would be aware of the abuse that, you know, we heard about later, you know, from her friends in the Dark Side documentary. But just remember, this is really before all all of that comes close to coming to a head. At this point, as far as Benoit is, and everyone else is concerned, probably, this is just an angle. So keep that in mind. Being for you last week, because I'm a horseman, and you're a horseman, Flair's a horseman, Benoit, Debra, yeah, they're all horsemen, and we made a pact. But just like she wasn't here last week, to witness that beating that I feel like is her fault. By God, why wasn't she here this week? Whoa, whoa. Enough about that little creature. I mean, we are sick and tired of hearing about woman this and woman that. And let me tell you, I am the beautiful one here, and people only want to hear and look at me. And you know, Chris, honey, you know, the next time that you want to have an affair, you need to let me know, because I have plenty of beautiful girlfriends 
met at this Crimson Tide pageant thought would just love to go out with you. <laughs> I mean, well, they're not as pretty as I am because I did win the pageant anyway. But Chris, honey, you are a four horseman, and you do not deserve damaged goods. Chris Benoit. here. Oh. Arn Anderson, first of all, woman is tending to horseman business right at this moment. Second of all, I don't appreciate all the unjust allegations of all this partying and infidelities and that. Woman and I were over in Germany for a purpose. We spent days, 18-hour days, having meetings, talking about the horsemen and how they're oncoming at the seams. We've devised a plan to reunite the horsemen and bring them to what they're supposed to be. As for you, Deborah. Uh-oh. Talk to the hand. Talk to the hand. Because the man don't understand. First of all, Deborah. Just take two steps back. What'd she call you, her stallion? Well, you need to put the bit back in those teeth and get that mouth shut when you're addressing this woman here because that's my woman, son. And when you're talking to her like that, you're walking on the fighting side of me. to town to reunite and to party all night long. And God only knows that after living with the devil for 10 years, woman, oh woman, won't you marry me now, deserved a weekend <laughs> with Benoit. <laughs> <laughs> Players dancing. Nature Boy going through one of his. Me, Gene! Fits. The horsemen are alive! Woo! And well! And Deborah, I've never seen you. And you, brother, you just dream about it. Woo! Thank you, the Nature Boy, Rick Flair. There seems to be a lot of turmoil, but I've covered the horsemen for a long, long time. And it sometimes seems to be like they react for the better in these kind of situations. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Stay tuned. We've got more Nitro. Oh, hanging from the rafters here tonight <laughs> in the heart of Dixie. Oh, my the, God. Uh, talk to the hand, which is still kind of funny because <laughs> of how out of nowhere it is. I'd love to know who's helping Benoit out with his promos at this time, because he does not sustain this level of promo. Well, let's talk about that real quick. D Dave says that Benoit's improved so much in interviews on the past few months that he's actually getting votes for best on interviews. It's really amazing. <laughs> I mean, those pre-tapes with him and woman in Germany were really good. Yeah. I just love the total, like... <laughs> The horseman, the dichotomy here. So you got Arn, who's pissed off because he got his ass kicked because of Benoit. Um, Benoit, who's, uh, you know, upset because they're upset at him because of uh, the woman situation. 
Deborah is trying to hook Benoit up with her girlfriends. Go out with some real women, not damaged goods. Mongo sticking up for his wife when Benoit tried to go off on her. And then Nate being Nate. <laughs> Let's solve all our problems by going out and partying. <laughs> That's what that was. Pretty much. <laughs> oh, man. Hulk Hogan and Ted DiBiase didn't come out next. Hogan called for Roddy Piper to come out and then said he was scared when he didn't. Hogan compared himself to George Washington, said the history books will not show a picture of Piper. They would show a picture of Hulk Hogan saying he made wrestling what it is today and found the NWO, among other inaccurate boasts. <laughs> Hogan said it's time to realize there's a pecking order in wrestling. He wrote on Randy Savage in his wheelchair and said that he had his wife. He called Flair a little man and Piper a coward. Hulk Hogan's the man who made you believe in wrestling. Watching wrestling put the NWO on top of the world. Way calling this excellent promo by Hogan. Effective at disgusting fans into wanting to see Piper put Hogan in his place. Hogan then poses the NWO music play. A movie trailer aired for Roddy Piper's new movie coming out in January called Marked Man. The trailer included Piper using some wrestling moves against his enemies. Marked Man. Man. So. Wade had all that description of the Hogan interview. Dave had one sentence. Hulk Hogan came out for an interview. <laughs> That's it. That's all, all Dave had. Next, we get one of the dream matches of all time. Lex Luger beat Tombstone, a.k.a. Al Poling, a.k.a. 911. Yes, Lex Luger against ECW's 911. With a torture rack at 338. In a match which wasn't good or even average, but it was one hell of a lot better than anyone had any right to expect. After the match, Luger put the giant in the torture rat before Hall and Nash made the save. Lex Luger against 911. I'm and there they are. wondering when we're going <laughs> to get the big Vin against Mr. Brickster. 911 <laughs> son against Lex Luger's wrestle son. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, actually, yeah. Brick hasn't come back to wrestling from his hiatus, though, right? Fan, any of the fans they are in the Luger at this time. The right, Luger in tremendous physical condition. Brickstar hasn't come back from his hiatus, though, right? I guess not. I don't know. I I'll follow his career. Personal stuff or whatever. <laughs> but anyway. But yes, what what a strange match. He's still basically dressed like 911 here. He is. Yes. I wonder how... Actually, wait. No, it probably says how much he got paid. I don't think it was under a contract, but... I think I can find out if Tombstone is mentioned here. One Albert Pauling. Let's see. Is he mentioned? No. So he's just being paid as an extra. So why are they bringing him down to Georgia, though? Are they flying him in? He worked TV tapings in uh, in some of the small Georgia towns, North Georgia. But it doesn't seem like he was under contract or anything, though. It's WCW. <laughs> you know. I guess. But anyway, <clears throat> you follow this up with Rey Mysterio beating Mr. JL in 601 of a three and a half star match. So, yeah. Um, Wade said that Shivani said that Bischoff said a memo saying NWO wrestling must be allowed to wrestle on WCW television and that there would be an NWO match later in the show. After the match, Ray told Shivani he didn't think Sting joined the NWO. So, there's that. And Bix wanted to know that note that uh, they played a Sting video 
And this, but none of nobody report said anything about the newsletters. So yeah, I mean, well, let's put it's a very quick promo. Let's just play this because it it's a little weird too because it I believe Ray tries to use the video as justification for St- the the idea that Sting has not turned has walked over to us here. It's kind of limping over. That was a tremendous match, my man. Congratulations. Here, here. Let's let's this mic okay? Can we use this for him? Okay. What's up, Tony? There's one thing. Everybody's saying that Sting is going to join the NWO. Well, that he has joined the NWO. That's a rumor started from NWO. That's not true. Last week, I jumped on Sting's back. We saw that, yeah. What he did, his reaction, his reaction was normal. Not like what Kevin Nash did when he threw me into the trailer. Right. Back this past summer, I remember that. Or when the giant picked me up with one hand and he threw me out of the ring trying to end my career. Okay, World War III. Sting, if you're listening, I know you're not going to betray us just like Hogan did. Tony, one thing. Can you please replay that tape one more time so the people and so you could see that Sting did not try to hurt me? He wasn't trying to hurt me. Sting reacted normal. Sting is WCW. You're talking about Sting Hero videotape? That's right. That's right. Could you please replay that tape? Can we do it? I would like to see it. I'm sure we are looking for it right now, Ray, but certainly. You know, I hate to tell you, Ray, but the dreams of youth are the nightmares of when someone gets older. You've got to face the facts and realize exactly what Sting did. He turned his back on everybody. He did not turn his back on everybody. He was in backup. I jumped on his back, and he reacted like any other person would do. He didn't know it was me. When he knew it was me, that's when he just decided to let me go. Ray, we do have that videotape. Please play Okay, it. let's play it for you. For everyone here who's been chanting Sting's name, let's take a look. It aired a couple of weeks ago. Okay, so well, they can't go. see it. <laughs> oh, the fans in the building either. Yeah. Um... Okay, I had not realized this till watching it back now. It seems like Ray is just asking them to replay the clip of him jumping on Sting's back. Yeah. And then Tony's like, oh, you want us to replay the holding out for a hero video? Sting's <laughs> name. Let's take a look. It aired a couple weeks ago. That clip's not in here. No, I just the videos playing. from before that. I, I just I, I don't understand what's going on here. That said, I actually like the idea here that Ray is like, I don't consider Sting bad just because I jumped on his back in a moment where I thought he turned on us. He mared me over and defended himself, but then he saw it was me and let up. I don't think that's a sign that he's turned. Like, it's actually a babyface being reasonable. Yeah, and how about them using a real song here? Well, not on the award-winning WWE Network. Well, still, but even then, but yeah, but on, on the real on the show. Yeah, that was surprising. <clears throat> yes, although definitely a song that has been used on wrestling shows more than many others. Oh, uh, Joe Petticino's uh, show every week. <laughs> yeah, there was the uh, what else? There was the Scott Steiner video in WWA that, of course, being a random wrestling thing in the eighties, aired on ICW. Yes. And uh, Lawler had a video with this song, of course. So, yes, 
Chris Hero uses his entrance music as one point, of course. Yeah. All right, Glacier beat Buddy Lee Parker in a match that was short and not particularly good. The Amazing French Canadians beat Public Enemy by disqualification in 317 of a bad match. Big Bubba beat Conan by DQ in 537. The match that started out hot but got sloppy as it went on. Lord Steven Regal kept the TV title going to a 9-minute, 26-second draw with D. Malenko in a three-star match. And then the main event was Jeff Jarrett over Rick Steiner when the imposter stain came out. But Jarrett nailed him and pinned him, and the ref counted three and awarded him the match, which made no sense at all. Does Scott Steiner only have one set of clothes in his entire wardrobe, Dave asked? He must be wearing the uh, leather uh The Jim Dotson outfit, yes. Yeah, the Jim Dotson special, yes, yes. Show ended with Hulk Hogan doing another interview. He's saying that Piper was coming out, but there Bischoff dressed in a plaid kilt. Then the real Piper came out. But in typical Randy Savage fashion, the entire NWO did a number on him. Actually, I did a show where off the air, Piper made his old cutback and ran the entire NWO off to a major pop. By the way, after the show ended on the 16th with the NWO WCW Battle Royal, it ended with the NWO group running off WCW group and playing to the crowd. All right, for the Nitro on the 23rd, they did a 3.1 rating, 5.2 share, which is 2.9 first hour, 3.3 second hour. Raw did its worst rating in history. Not only for a Raw show, but the lowest for any Monday Night Wrestling show dating back to TNT and Primetime Wrestling in the early 80s, doing a 1.5 rating and a 2.6 share. Nitro more than doubled Raw's rating overall, nearly doubling the head-to-head hour. In fact, the Nitro replay did a 1.6 rating and a 3.5 share. It beat the initial showing of Raw. Some demographics Wait, for does he show. mean replay or... East Coast. The replay the replay of Nitro. No, he, he said Raw's initial showing. Yes, the, which means the first showing of Raw, yes. So that means what? Because I don't think there's a replay at this point, so that would mean East Coast? That would mean the first showing of Raw. I mean, what's there to be confused about? Because <laughs> he's complaining. The, 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 live, the live showing of Raw. So he means not counting the which is at, Which the rating of the live... The live rating of Raw was a 1.5 rating. That's what he means. Okay. Nitro's replay did a 1.6. Raw from 9 to 10 or 10 to 11, whatever it was. 9 to 11, whatever it was, did a 1.5. Nitro's replay at midnight did a 1.6. Now, some demographics for the show when it comes to head-to-head. In women, 18 to 49, Nitro held a 66-34 edge, almost double. In men 18 to 49, Nitro had a 71 to 29 edge, which tells the entire story, really. Among kids, Raw led with a 56 44 edge, while Nitro beat out Raw among teenagers by 55 45 margin. So, huh. Yeah, yeah it was just straight up a 1.5. Because we did, I don't think we had that number earlier in the show. That's why I was a little thrown by it. Well, the ratings on. I, you know, normally on this show, the ratings doesn't come until I do the second show. I know, but still. So, yeah, so they. So also, Superstars beat Raw that week then, too. Yes. Superstars did a 1.7. Yeah. Wow. I forgot they got this low at this point. And it goes back to what I was talking about with the uh, adding a new television show. The absolute worst time to do that. Yeah. Makes no sense. The the Nitro replay doing better than Raw in terms of at least the rating, which... Actual audience might be a little different because of the whole, uh, you know, rating, cable rating in this era that is the percentage of people who have the network. But still, like, that's 
that's very revealing. Yeah. All right. Uh, for the weekend, the 21st main event did a 1.2. Saturday night did a 2.7. And Pro was preempted. Well, I don't think you read the demos. I did. Oh, you did. Okay. I zoomed out on it when we, I was focusing on. That's right. I was focusing on the other part and waiting for you to finish. Never mind. <laughs> yeah. WSB TV News in Atlanta did a two-part pup piece on the power plant. Interesting. I'd be curious to see that. Torch. Torch at Air Bischoff's interest in signing David San Martino to a contract. Is he, though? <laughs> Has he had his one match yet? Uh, I don't know if it's yet or not. The latest word, stay with the torch. The latest word is that Public Enemy are also likely to renew their contracts with WCW and not return to ECW. Which, I mean, they made more money in WCW, but probably would have been better off going back to ECW, but that's another story. Uh... Torch continues. WCW plans to push. In fact, the Torch is about the rest of the show just about. WCW plans to push their Mexican contingent hard to count WS upcoming push of AAA wrestlers. Wow. Yes. Oh, okay. I just checked. Uh, David San Martino worked a dark match with Rex King on December 4th at the Saturday night tapings at the Georgia Mountain Center. And the match with Malenko that people remember is from the December 16th Nitro. So the we poor. There you go. Um, on the December 21st episode of Main Event, Tony Schiavone described the Hulk Hogan-Roddy Piper match as bigger than the world title. Heenan said no one he runs into is talking about wanting Piper to win the title. They just all want him to get a piece of Hogan. WCW's trying to downplay that the Piper-Hogan match is not for the title and make it seem just as important anyway. So, it's so interesting to look back at this. Like, how worried were they that this not being for the title was going to hurt the buyer? Obviously. Clearly, but, but it's weird. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. I, I think to, to me, the problem, though, is not that. It's that they're dancing around it so much. They never explicitly say it's non-title. They don't ever explicitly say it's a title match. They do this. But, like, you watch that show, the crowd clearly thinks they just saw a title change. Yes. Yeah, it definitely wasn't. And pushed to the crowd enough that this was not a title match, no. In attraction to Star Cave, Sting will do his first big interview in months. Yeah. Expectations are that he will announce his loyalty to WCW and form a team of wrestlers, perhaps including Randy Savage, who will attempt to organize and offset the NWO. Huh? <laughs> I don't know where Wade's getting information from, but there you go. Yeah. I feel like the next item we have here is missing something because it doesn't have the backstory about where it was. Oh, this is the way it was in the notes. Okay, so that so okay, so it's probably the next week or two that there's more details. Okay, go ahead. The former WC the former WC wrestler we talked about this before on the show. The former WC w wrestler known as Van Hammer showed up and began to complain about not having a job. Uh, as the story goes, he insulted a small Mexican wrestler, then said something to Steve Regal about European wrestlers. Regal dropped Van Hammer with two headbutts. So maybe Wade didn't know this was at. The Christmas party at first. At DP's Christmas party. I guess. So he heard the story and thinking maybe it was at Nitro or TV taping. Right, because they are in Georgia, so I guess it makes sense. Um, okay, searching Google Drive for some of the keywords in our Google Drive. The first hit I got is from our week's issue of The Lariat, a newsletter we referenced earlier. And here's what Dave Shearer writes. As alluded to on the December 16th Nitro, 
So, okay, so this was over a week before that this happened. There was an actual fight at Dallas Page's Christmas party, which was a shoot and not the TV angle where Eric Bischoff invaded the party and shot an angle. The shoot happened, the shoot, when Van Hammer, remember his 15 minutes of fame, came to the party and was ragging on WCW because they used the Mexicans, like they are not a thousand times more talented than Hammer. Anyway, he took his tirade to British wrestlers, and it was not well received by Stephen Regal. Regal's a well-known tough man. He used to fight all comers at Carnals in Britain. Anyway, Regal was less than fond of what Hammer said and knocked him silly with two headbutts. Merry Christmas, Hammer. <laughs> also, I love that he takes it to British wrestlers when there were two in WCW. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? Yeah. It's Regal and Dave Taylor, and Dave Taylor just got there. Mm-hmm. Finley's not around. <clears throat> no, he's in Germany. Oh. Ah. So it, and, I'm assuming yeah. the hammer was drunk. So. Oh, or something. Yeah. Maybe he was consuming too much uh, pornography at the family business. <laughs> he was doing something. And to close out the show, according to those in WCW, there's nothing at all to the National Choir short about Lonnie Anderson appearing at a future WCW preview show. Also, the idea for doing a Miss NWO contest at the pay-per-view was tabled. Was oh, it? No, it wasn't. <laughs> Lonnie Anderson. <laughs> I guess playing off the whole divorce with Burt Reynolds or something. I guess. That didn't happen. Um, okay. What is it with the Inquirer and WCW in this era? <laughs> well, they're getting publicity somewhere. Who who is Helen Sharp or whoever friends or Mike Weber or whoever friends with there? Who knows? Um, I'm trying to find the show number and stuff where we talk about sold out with the. Is that the last time Dylan Hales was ever on the show? Uh, yeah. Before he be, you know became extremely busy. Yes. Yes. Uh, that was 184, where we cover sold out in the Miss NWO pageant and. It's over 200 shows ago, yes. Yes, where Miss NWO appears to break Dylan's brain and Bischoff tonguing <laughs> her. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, granted, maybe the idea for the Miss NWO pageant to be a beauty pageant and not a weird exercise in making fun of local women was tabled. Maybe it was supposed to be something else originally. Maybe. You never know with WCW. That's the truth. Yes, and uh, if you do search my Twitter as well, you can see uh, the kiss synced up to the audio from uh, us watching it. Mm-hmm. All right. Next week on Between the Sheets, we go back to 1993. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, excuse me. Sorry. Well, it's a, it's nineteen ninety. Two to 1993, of course, because it's the end of December to January. So we, in the World Wrestling Federation, we have Phil Mushnick uh, talking about the Nails incident in the New York Post. Oh, boy. And uh, more with Phil Mushnick as he gets a award from a, another publication. We have news on a new TV show coming to USA Network. So we have uh, stuff on that. And... Uh, yeah, not much because it's you know it's the holiday week, so not a whole lot going on in WWF and USWA. We have a uh, news on there uh, after Christmas show, including just who is the Christmas creature in the USWA. 
So we have that going on there. And uh, we have, let's see what else we got here. Uh, we got major suspensions in uh, CMLL to talk about. We got Dave Meltzer in Japan, which is one reason why not a whole hell of a lot going on during our week, news-wise, as he's there. So we have some uh, – our week ends on January 3rd, so we don't have the Dome show. But we do have the days, first two days in Japan, his thoughts on the shows he attends. And we have a WCW section, which features Starcade 92. So, yes, we'll talk about Battle Bowl 92. And we'll have Big Van Vader winning the WCW World Heavyweight title back from Ron Simmons in Baltimore. So all that more next week on Between the Sheets. Should be an interesting show. I was surprised we never done Starcade 92 before, but we hadn't. But we're going to do it next week. So all that more next week on Between the Sheets. Just me and Bix again, and uh, we'll get a guest at, uh, hopefully the first week of January. Come off the, the holiday vacation here. All right. Well, we uh, thank you for listening. Bix, of course, thank you as always for uh, being the rock of the show. And this is Chris saying so long from the Peach State of Georgia.
everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, Patreon Special Edition number 74. I'm your host, Chris Zona, joined as always by my co-host David Bixenspan. And Bix, it's time to go back yet again to 1997 as we're in part two of our three-part series of 25 Years of Montreal. And uh, yeah, this should be quite the show. And I think this one also just covers two weeks again, right? <laughs> Uh, I'm looking here. I think it does. Yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, so we'll have so to play it by year. The last two weeks of November. <laughs> yeah, how we divide this up, and then uh, part three is basically through the rest of the year, and then the wrestling with shadows issue. Yeah. So. All right. Well, you know where we left off at was um, Survivor Series. You know, and uh, all that went on there. Well, and uh, and Brett's post Montreal column in the Calgary Sun, I believe, was what we ended on. Well, now let's go to the Observer. When you look up the term "bait and switch" in your dictionary, there should be a synonym to it: World Wrestling Federation. In the decision to forfeit potential pay per view money, the biggest revenue stream in the company, in favor of television ratings, and probably short term at that, November twenty fourth live Raw from Fayetteville, North Carolina, was built around Bret Hart. The same Bret Hart who wasn't there, and based on his own words, will never be there again. Nevertheless, Bezeme, notwithstanding, the WF has drawn two of his strongest ratings of the year, basically due to the wrestler the company has now tried to label as not being worth what they were paying him in the wake of the double cross finish of Survivor Series. There can be little doubt, based on the quarter hours and logic itself, that the first week's rating came from a combination of curiosity over the finish the night before and a gift from WCW in making the Bret Hart announcement before Raw started. Even though WCW drew a better rating in the process, they also created curiosity as what was going to be said on the WS show later that night. Based on quarter hours, there's no question the strength of the November 17th for all rating was based on curiosity regarding the Vincent Man interview about Bret Hart, an interview that the plan was originally done to put closure to the Bret Hart issue. Of course, it only fueled the fire among some, but more importantly, it became obvious that after trying a million hotshot ideas and failing almost every time, that WF has finally found something that could move the ratings. All right, refresh my memory. Is Nitro and Raw at the same time? Are they going head-to-head both hours at this time period? He just said they're not. Did he? I can't remember. He just uh, said oh, yeah, because yeah. the yeah. the bread announcement was before when Raw. Was the, was the Vince announcement the first hour or second hour? The, the, the sit-down? I don't remember. Because I'm curious if it went up head-to-head against Nitro. Want me to pull up the torch? Really? I'm pull, I'm going there now. Yeah, I'm getting there. Because if that's the case, I would have d- definitely held off on uh, doing anything until that happened. Or if the go concurrent. All right, so Vince, the Vince quarter hour. Okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, it was in two parts. The first part played in, in the quarter hour number two. Head-to-head against Nitro. Okay. Part two aired in quarter hour number seven, which would be the last quarter, the second last quarter of the show. Interesting. So I would have definitely, you know, programmed against that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, WCW definitely gave them, a, you know, a layup there. And they took advantage of it. 
as only WCW could. It's still it's it's still amazing how they how they totally botched this whole thing from beginning to end. It is amazing. A, a big slam dunk. Mm. One of the biggest slam dunks you could ever have. And just the way you, you fuck it up. It's just amazing to me. Alright. So for the November twenty fourth for all newspapers around the country, including USA Today, they listen the main event on that show is being Bret Hart versus Shawn Michaels. That was the hook. To make sure when the show started people didn't wise up to the hook, they opened the show with Michaels in an interview claiming he had a secret conversation with Brett, unbeknownst to everyone, including Vince McMahon, and using the term as God is my witness, even using terms like internet and underground dirt sheet, and doing an interview out of character to make people believe he was shooting and not working in a new blurred environment that he was working under. He said Brett was going to be there, and a white limo was shown several times for the man of the hour with, with announcers Jim Ross and Jim Cornette trying for all their work to sell the idea that it was Brett in the limo. Of course, you all know the rest of the story. Instead of Brett, they dressed up a mini in a leather jacket and sunglasses, called him Hart, had Michael swim in sharpshooter, and only stuck the mic in his face when the mini said that he submitted, Michael's was the icon, the showstopper, put a WCW sign on his butt, kicked him in the butt out of the ring, and said, go there with the rest of the garbage. Then WF could hide behind the idea that it wasn't the company doing a bait and switch, but Michael's the heel who was lying to the fans, which is what a heel should do. Granted, the humiliating a big star with a skit like that is a standard wrestling gag, but in the past, it's always been done to set up a big grudge match. Usually when it's done, otherwise, the very talent that has left, such as Billionaire Ted skits in 96, has backfired in the face of promotion doing so. No doubt, in this entire, if this entire Brett, Vince, Sean thing had been an angle, it was the best woman man's done in years. There would be tons of money to be made when the Brett, Sean rematches were to take place. Only one problem. They're on the rematches. The match they need to hype people for seeing is Sean versus Ken Shamrock. And how do you think on that television show result in that feeling in your, in your gut? You can't wait to see Sean, uh, Ken beat Sean. No, you want to see a match that the company can't deliver. In this case, the skip was done with the idea of humiliating someone who has signed with the opposition. But if anything, it backfired, only making Brett even more the focal point in WF than when he actually held the title. Whatever the company was theoretically trying to accomplish by doing a double cross in regard to the so-called protection of the company has been made far worse. The focal point of the company, a bigger deal to the company when he held the belt itself, and now a bigger deal than the belt itself, is about the debut on their rival television show. How much time did Michael spend during the show talking about Ken Shamrock, his opponent next pay-per-view? The revenue stream where big money is generated. How much time did the announcer spend hyping that? And other matches on the next pay-per-view? Let's face it. Aside from Slaughter vs. Triple H and Butterbean vs. Mark Merrow, can you name a match on that pay-per-view based on watching a television show? How much time was trying to, spent trying to humiliate Bret Hart? Rit Rude, because he left the company, and actually the skit where Harvey Whippleman playing Rit Rude was hilarious had they dropped it at that point rather than try to run the same gag twice and not being funny and really pathetic the second time. And Jim Neidhart, because of fear he's going to leave the company, because there's another way where WF thought he could get under Bret Hart's skin. The show itself is weird enough. I watched in the last years of the AWA, but it was much super production values, where the emphasis is on burying the wrestlers who had left the company rather than building up what was left. Barrels only made the wrestlers bigger in the promotion itself like it was going down in those days. It looks no different from the outside today. The legitimate bitterness the company appears to have towards Brett, which delivered another strong rating, appears to be taken away from his job promoting wrestling. And the weirdness of the attempts at other symbolism during the show. In particular, Jeff Jarrett complained about Vince. Now filling his contract to the letter trying to create the idea to the fans of people who take Brett's side because of the valid point about not living up to contracts by WF are nothing but whining crybabies. You know, you read this, and then, you know, we have what happens in the December pay review, and where WF is heading, 
Boy, I tell you, it, it really cements the case of how important Mike Tyson was to that company being what it would become. This sounds like a dying company. Absolutely. Mike Tyson coming in that company saved their saved them. This sounds like 2000 WCW. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mike Tyson saved that company. It's just amazing. Think about that. I mean, Austin, being Austin is definitely a part of it. But, I mean, if there's no Mike Tyson to play off of Austin, then you don't have it. Austin's basically Jeff Jarrett in 2000 WCW. I don't know if I'd say that, but I well, get what you're trying to say, I think. <clears throat> he's, he's, I mean, he's the top guy in a company that's dying. I mean, this is ridiculous. And I totally forgot about all this. I mean, I remember the, the mini Brett thing. But it, it, advertising Brett versus Sean in the in national newspapers? I didn't remember that or that the mini Neidhart, Whippleman is rude, and the Jarrett thing were all on the same show. All on the same show. Yeah, it's crazy. And this is so petty. So very petty. And so anti-doing business. Mm-hmm. I mean, good lord. If they didn't put yeah. the Brett Sean thing in, US, in USA Today and the other TV listings, you can get away with the it's the heel who promised this thing to a point. But now when you put it in the log lines in the newspapers... And the thing is, you know, and, and, and people want to come at me or say, well, Vin, Vince turning heel is the cat, you know, the big cows. Mike Tyson's the most important part of that. Mm-hmm. Vince is not a heel, really, until the Tyson thing. He is, but he isn't. You know, there's no catalyst for him in Austin. Well, the rock, the rock thing first. Well, kind of. But uh, but Tyson's the real catalyst. You ruined it, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it just sticks out like a sore thumb here. Yeah, I did not remember at all that this was all one show. And then, about, I mean, and then Sean fucks, fucks his back up. Mm-hmm. I mean, so you're going to lose Sean, too. And we have no Tyson? Oh, my God. And Tyson's a major hook in that match. I mean, how much business do you think that Mania match does without Tyson? Not the 700,000 buys or whatever it actually did. Hell fucking no. Hell no. Much like, you know, we've talked about with 1984 and Cindy Lauper, Mike Tyson in 98 is as important, if not bigger. Yes. Wow. To hear this entire show, support Between the Sheets on Patreon for just $5 per month. Go to patreon.com slash between the sheets.